The fight in our generation in this century and this decade is going to be the fight for the separation of money and state. Yes. Yes. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. Now, this episode is very special. We've got an interview lined up with Alex Svetsky, who's the co-founder and CEO of Amber, an incredible app allowing you to regularly invest in Bitcoin. Now, a quick note, if you're around young children or if you yourself aren't a fan of swearing, this episode contains swear words, so just be aware of that. Next disclaimer is that this is not investment or any other type of advice. If you're listening to the show and interested in any of this sort of stuff, anything you hear here is educational, just a bit of a fun conversation, and we're not saying you should buy anything at all. So do your own research, never invest more you can afford to lose, and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and you're new to blockchain and cryptocurrencies, check out our Crypto Basics, which starts at episode two and continues until episode eight. Gives you a bit of a background on what blockchain and cryptocurrencies is all about. Uh, And finally, if you're looking for some privacy and security resources, check out FOMO.show forward slash privacy. It's got all of the top tools and tips to take control of your online privacy. And with that, we're going to jump straight into the interview. So here we go. Hi, my name's Matt. I like long walks on the beach. (laughs) That is the intro for this show. Hey, everyone. This is Matt here. Uh, I'm here with Joe and Alex Fetsky, who is the CEO of Amber. Um, And we are going to be just essentially running through a whole bunch. with. We've got a pretty wide-ranging conversation set up and in store for you guys. Um, And uh, we're going to also talk about Amber, which is the product he's developing. So, yeah. How you doing, Alex? Uh, sleep deprived. Right. Yes. Um, no, not, not, not because I've had a baby, <laughs> but because I've got another type of baby. I don't know. Last two nights I was just telling Joe before I couldn't fucking sleep. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. I, um, I had a catch up with a dude, um, on Sunday night and nice guy and all, but really, really, really fucking naive sitting there telling me he's like got, um, half his money in Bitcoin and half his money in Bitcoin SV. I was like, what the f- <laughs> And He's like just throwing out dumb buzzwords like scalability and God knows what else. Anyway, so that my Sunday night fucking went down the toilet trying to talk to them. I don't know why I waste my time. And why did you waste your time though? Was it was it because I like the guy? He's actually yeah. a nice guy. Okay, yeah. so so I was trying to like um, talk some sense into him. And you know what? The upside for me is we made a bet for um, one Bitcoin that BSV is going to fucking tank versus he thinks it's going to be the one. Right. So anyway, so I just basically. Ford earned some Bitcoin. <laughs> so I'm happy with so that. you made money out of yeah, it. Exactly. It was, so it was, it was worth it. <laughs> and, and he can't say that I didn't try and like say otherwise. So, you know. Um, wow, maybe we should all go and find some BSV supporters. BSV guys and just make some make bets. Some Fuck, bets. seriously. Yeah. There, there's like a fucking winning You'd strategy. want security though, wouldn't you? Like you'd want to, you know, have a multi-sig account or something and, and yeah, know that there's yep. some Bitcoin there in escrow. Yep. Yep. So um so anyway so so that that was that and then um I ended up for some fucking strange reason I went to bed at two thirty and woke up at four and then you know mangled all of Monday um because I had like meetings back to back to back to back to back yeah and then um I thought Monday night I got to sleep at about eleven I thought all right I'll get some sleep finally and then this morning I woke up at three. 3 a.m. in the morning yeah I don't know why so is that anyway. does that happen to you often like no, do you, no right I'm, fucking what's going on so and it's seven o'clock now so pardon my um. 
I'm probably going to swear a lot again and, <laughs> and I'm probably going to slur by the end of this. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll put yeah. a warning in at the start just, yeah. so, just Indeed, so people yeah, know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Beware profanity, extreme profanity. Talk a little bit about yourself then. Like why – because, I mean, now you're the CEO of a, of a growing fintech company, uh, very, very focused on Bitcoin, but you've had a long story. Like it wasn't always this way. You weren't always building a fintech company in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a point in time where I was crawling – Right, as a as a baby, or yes. it, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just scrolling with you now. Did you say like a like all children? Alex was born, kind yeah, of thing, you exactly. Know? I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't born a yeah, Bitcoiner, we- <laughs> I promise. <laughs> no, um, but there there were some like I mean you've you've had a you've led a pretty interesting life. I mean we've we've talked off mic many times about mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. led you to this point. Yep. Um, I guess, and, and and you do have a real passion for for starting companies, uh, a real passion for money. And monetary theory. So, I guess just so the listeners can get a bit a bit of an idea of where you're coming from. Yep. Where did where did that all begin? Well, um, I'm I'm going to give a version of the story that actually goes back a little bit further than than what I usually um, talk about because I usually talk about me going to uni, um, then trading, putting money on the markets, and all that sort of stuff. But you know, maybe maybe I'll go a step behind that, which is um, I, I was. Always, you know, really good at school, um, but I was always in trouble um, at school. So, like, the teachers didn't really know what to do with me. So, like, they're like, "Get out of the class!" But fuck, you got an A again. <laughs> what do we do with this guy? So, um, and and you know, I sort of built a bit of a persona out of that. Um, you know, sort of pushing the envelope wherever I could. And um, I, I don't know, my my uncle was a real. Um, was a real influence on me when I was younger. So, you know, my, my parents sort of split up um, when they were younger and it was a really like sort of re- messy split up, like old wogs who – it's not like Australian divorces, right, where, you know, then the parents share the kids and stuff like that. Here it's like, you know, you talk to your mum, it's like, oh, you know, what do you think about dad? I hope he dies. What do you think about mum? I'm going to fucking kill her. It's like so, there's no there's no like there's niceness no, about no, it. Be, be civil for the yeah, kids. There's zero civility, like right. right? It's it's about fucking who am I going to kill and how's he going to die, basically. Yeah, okay. And so, so it was a really sort of um, messy period. So anyway, my, my brother ended up with my mum. I ended up with my dad. And I, me and my dad really like, you know, didn't get along. So I ended up... Um, you know, my, my my uncle was the sort of the guy that I looked up to, and he was sort of my quasi dad in effect. Right. And he was um he was very uh, political. Um, he'd sort of been very patriotic, um, very interested in history, um, m- much more well read than my dad, and all that sort of stuff. So he was the guy I sort of looked up to. When you say patriotic, was that uh, like patriotic from Australia, or was that no Macedonia? For, Macedonia, for Macedonia. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so your family's yeah. originally from Macedonia, Macedonia, exactly. So and, and Macedonia's got quite a like rich history, and, and he he was you know extremely well read, um, at least in the context of Macedonia and sort of you know that history, and and yeah, he he was he was effectively my my inspiration when I was younger, and you know we, we sort of had this whole plan to he wanted to make me the um, the president of Macedonia and we're going to go back and take over the country. We're going to fucking blow up parliament. We'll do all this fucking crazy <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So, so that, that's sort of where um, – th- that was where my, you know, ideology was first forged, right, between you know, the ages of like 14 and 16, 17. And, um, and you know, we, we'd have like – we'd pop a fucking bottle of wine every dinner and we'd just philosophize and talk. And, you know, yeah. th- that's sort of where I went down the path of like really – you know, reading works from you know the, the Ptolemies of the world and the um, the the Aristotles of the world and mm. the end of the greats and you know like 
you know, my favorite movie growing up was Braveheart, you know, not yes. fucking some. So it was mine. Shit. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> like that, that movie used to always make me fucking cry. Right. And then Count of Monte Cristo was, um, yeah. the other, like, so, so I had a top three. It was, um, Braveheart, Count of Monte Cristo. And, um, and actually this movie called Legends of the Fall, which is like an old Brad Pitt mm. movie. And I'm not a Brad Pitt groupie, um, yeah, okay. but it was like, he's got some good movies. Huh? He's got some fantastic movies. It was one of his early movies. Like it was probably like, I think his third or fourth movie, really yeah, powerful okay. story about, um, family and, um, how humans interact and like just justice and yeah. you know, just, just that sort of stuff. And yeah. so I think those, um, early days like really helped shape, um, a lot of, you know, my belief systems and things like that. Mm. Anyway, so, so I was always driven, always wanted to do more, um, and I did really well in high school. So I actually finished high school in a little town called Barrel. Um, in oh, South wow. Wales. Don Don yeah. Bradman's hometown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, my wife and I went down there for a uh, holiday at New yeah. Year's. There you go. Yeah, so yeah. I was the only non-white person there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I went to school there basically. <laughs> and I got suspended in my first week and all this sort of shit because I came from a really fucking rough school before that. Yeah. And like the school that I came before that, like the, the week that I left – some teacher got knocked out by some kid throwing a chair across the room or whatever it was and like all sorts of stuff. And then I, then I come to this new school and there's like, everyone's like prim proper. <laughs> and I'm like, what country, am I doing? Typical here? country town. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, and, yeah. And, and also, well, I think Barrow's not only the typical country town, but it's like a relatively affluent yeah. country town, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, median house prices, like 1.2 million and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So it was like, yeah. I got. I remember because when I finished at Barrel High School, I got voted at the. Uh, what's the thing you do at the end of year twelve? Uh, oh, the, the formal? formal. Yeah, the yeah, formal. formal. Yeah, I got yeah, voted yeah. most yeah. likely to go to jail. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> do you reckon that helped though? Like, do you reckon? Because I mean, it's, it seems like you know you, you say you came from a rough school and things were quite different there. Did going to? Do you think going to Barrel kind of did have a bit of a course correction on your life? Uh Kind of. So, so it made me, um, I think it added to my desire to prove myself. Yeah. Cause I, I think at that point in time, like I was really academically strong at the other school and yep. I, I, I already felt like I had everyone around my little finger. Yeah. Um, so when I went to barrel, I, I still remember I, um, the, the math that the head of the math department there was like this, this like old professor dude, like th this guy had worked in that department for 33 years and not taken a single day of leave. Wow, not a single. So he he so he retired the um the year I finished year eleven there. Yeah, and he had four and a half years of leave. <laughs> <laughs> he was this short, angry, brilliant math. So he'd guy. never taken holidays. Not a single fucking day for really? thirty three years. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I guess it's a little bit easier when you're a teacher because you get what twelve weeks of holidays. I guess so, yeah. yeah but like yeah. He, he had this like red face, fucking wrinkled up, angry guy. And, and I still remember like I, I, I came there like halfway through the first term of year 11. Um, and, you know, like, man, the school that I came from, that was so far behind. Like, yeah. you know, we, we thought we were at term one. When I got to Barrel, I had no idea what was going on. So my first exam, I got 36% and his came up to me. He was like, you know, I don't think you should be in this class. Like, and this was sort of um, what we called two-unit math. Yeah. So, like, um, advanced math. Yeah. And, like, that just... Lit a fire under you. You don't say that to me. Like That I'm doesn't like, sound like you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, t two, two terms later, so, like, by the end of the semester, um, my two-unit math um, result was 99%. <laughs> so then he turned around and came to me and he's like, 
think you should be doing three and four unit math. Yeah, <laughs> right. I was like, that's right, motherfucker. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so, so barrel was a good sort of uh, thing for me. And, and I, I finish, um, I, I should have finished ducks of um, the school, but mm. because I'd gotten suspended and I was always in trouble and shit like that, I didn't. But, uh, but I had the best results um, in the thing. So, um, so anyway, so I, I guess that sort of forged a bunch of interesting things in me and, and um, taking all of that and going to university um, was then sort of, I was, I had this drive to do more. And when I was at uni, I, I felt like I was surrounded by people who, well, not, I felt like I was, there, there was, I was part of a, like I did engineering cause that's what the family right, wanted me right. to do. Um, and everyone who I was there with, I was like, oh, so, you know, why'd you pick engineering? And they're like, oh, you know, got nothing better to do. Uh, wow. you know, ask the next guy. It's like, I don't know. Uh, ask the next guy. It's like, oh, you know, I just I, I just had enough of a UAI at that time, which was a university admission index, like to get in. Right. And I was like, fuck, man, no, no one's actually doing anything they want to do. Like, like, because I actually did have an interest um, in engineering. I had an interest in the math and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't know. I, I was disillusioned with um, uni. So, I was like... Fucking what, what what can I do? So, you know, me and my, you know, infinite curiosity started like I, I and this is sort of where the book Rich Dad Poor Dad comes in. So like I um I I won this book book voucher at school. So yeah. the, the book I went and bought was Rich Dad Poor Dad. I don't know fucking why. It was weird. On the main street of Barrel you had Angus and Robertson on one side and you had this like esoteric sort of bookstore on the other side. I've been to that bookstore. I think it's still there. Yeah, is it? Is it, is it like real real long and narrow? Yeah, it's got like all these weird books like, you know, Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There so, was all sorts of, I remember yeah. being quite surprised yeah. at some of the books that were in there. It really good bookstore. So, so that's where I went in and I, I bought Rich Dad Porter and I bought some other one by, not, not Joseph Campbell, but could have been Joseph Campbell, but not the main guy that we know of, Joseph Campbell. And, and the book was called The Power of the Subconscious Mind. It was written in like the 70s. Wow. Yeah. And that sort of opened my, my head to some ideas. Now, Created lots of friction in the family because, like, you know, my uncle was all about, you know, Macedonia. This is, you know, who you're going to be, what you are. So I had this, like, really strong identity around that. And this sort of cracked much of that identity. Um, and I started questioning, you know, outside of, you know, Macedonia and um, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, um, got to uni and then I wanted to do more with uni. So, or, so more, more than just uni. So I... I I'd gotten some scholarship money and I decided to roll the dice, teach myself how to trade markets. And um, so how did you yeah. get started in that? So uh, it was asx.com.au started rolling out like online courses. And yeah, I was just literally following through the online courses, started paper trading. And then, you know, my family got really pissed off about that. They're like, what are you wasting your time with that for? Do your engineering, do your studies. And, you know, we, we sort of developed this big rift. And I mean, in hindsight now, like, you know, what's it now? Like 13, 14, 15 years later, I can kind of appreciate where they were coming from. Like at the time I didn't. So I sort of like one night packed up, left and fucked off and, you know, moved into this dingy little shithole in um, a place called Fairy Meadow um, down in Wollongong, which sounds really... Pretty, but it's like a dump. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's like this really badass dump where like <laughs> fucking drug dealers and shit live. It's like, where do you live? And I remember you used to say like, people were like, oh, so whereabouts do you live? I'm like, Fairy Meadow. They're like, what? I'm like, Fairy Meadow. <laughs> like, I mean, they wouldn't hear it. On the good end though, on the good yeah, side. Yeah. Like just bordering on another suburb. Yeah. And um, How was that though? I mean, how, how old were you when you moved out? 
Like 18, 19. Right. So you were pretty much just out of school. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to, you moved out and you didn't just move out to a, like, were there other people in the place you moved to? No, no. I um, moved into this little really, really shitty one bedroom apartment, which um, fit my bed and I had a motorbike and I would ride the motorbike inside the apartment because I didn't want to park the motorbike outside because it would get stolen. Yeah, Yeah, fairy meadow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, like I'd basically sleep inhaling motorbike fumes. Jeez. <laughs> Were you working or did you? No, I um I the way I subsisted was through Centrelink at the time, and then yep. uh, until I was th- making enough money trading that um mm. I got off Centrelink and I just made a bunch of money on that. So what sort of stuff were you trading? Um, so I um. The first trade I placed was with this old school, like the brokers that you would go into their office, you know, and they and they probably at that time, like you know, I thought he was helping me place a trade, but he was actually dumping some shit stock on wow. me. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny now, right? <laughs> so he he dumped this stock called you know Gene Tech or so, so something like that. I, I still remember the ticker symbols GYG. Yeah. Um, and it's not Guzman and Gomez. <laughs> um, this was long before Guzman and Gomez. And, um, and yeah, so, so that thing, I bought the shit at like 50 cents. And by the time I got out of it, it was like 26 cents. And I was like, fuck yeah, this guy. He was like this big fat guy called Doug something. Anyway, and he worked for Bell Potter. So that was sort of my first thing. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And this was sort of like when the, the online trading platforms first started, you know, gaining popularity yeah. so like i remember opening up one of like the early westpac broking accounts right. um opened up a comsec account i mainly traded westpac broking at the time and yeah like it was just online trading and then um i was trading basically warrants at the time which are you know um derivative products similar options right. um and yeah like it was 2007 the, the heyday thought yeah, i was a right. genius wow and i was you know long <laughs> i was swing trading Placing longs and shorts and all this sort of stuff, and you know, within six, seven, eight months, like I'd made like fifty grand, and wow. um, and I thought I was a genius, um, so I made like ten x my money, um, and I thought I knew everything, um, levered up, and then sort of the the pre tremors of twenty, you know, the the GFC wow. came in, and I didn't know what the fuck was going on, like I just see these big crashes and I doubled down and just fucking road mass all the way down until I was um about 200 grand in debt wow. and no money left. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> so, but it didn't stop there. So, I mean, that's a serious situation that, that, that you were in there. So, so what were your next steps after that? I spent the last bit of money I had on, on a NLP course. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. That's so, neuro linguistic programming, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Neuro, neuro linguistics, hypnotherapy and stuff. So, so I did it with a guy called Steve Linder, who's um, Tony Robbins's like wow. uh, prim- main trainer or he was at the time. So, and Steve Linder's brilliant. So he actually, um, he was a student of Buckminster Fuller. Like um, right. he was, he was directly a student of Richard Bandler and um, Grind- Bandler and Grindler, who are the two guys who developed NLP. So, wow, okay. so it was um, like, really interesting and and yeah it was the last bit of money i had so i didn't pay my rent or anything like that so i like i, I slept on the fucking train going back and forth wow. and I came back and moved out of this place and basically moved into this dude's lounge room um yeah. and the only job i could get at short notice was knocking on doors wow that's a baptism of fire yeah exactly so, so what was it what, what do, you, do you have any memories from the early days of knocking on doors because that's oh, got to yeah. be tough hell like, yeah, yeah yeah that was um and i was i was an introvert like a mega mega introvert wow i still am primarily an introvert like you know and matt would know this like i don't like hanging around people my idea of a good night is 
reading a book yeah <laughs> or hiding somewhere <laughs> you know i don't want to know about that shit so um yeah you're running a company and, yeah i'm running you know, a company exactly. doing so, talks so I'm, and I'm publishing a, all the time and, correct yeah. so i'm a taught extrovert or a yeah. learned learned extrovert yeah <laughs> let's put it that way so um i took what i learned in that nlp stuff and i basically developed my own method of communicating and selling to people so so the 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 door-to-door company at the time that i went to was called cobra um which is sort of like the um sounds like some secret society right (laughs) and i mean i mean it was a cult fucking like that though right because they'd go in there they had their five-step ritual their eight-step ritual which is you know smile do this and it's like the jones theory and you know a fear of missing out like you know like you know basically the name of your fucking show right (laughs) um so, so they had all these like sort of systems. We're a part of Cobra too. Yeah, you are exactly. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the, the, all these systems for sales, but but it seemed so like mechanical to me. So I just sort of took what I'd learned in. I mean, if I had to dumb down what NLP is, so so that you know, neuro linguistic programming sounds really fancy, but it, it's really just um language of the mind. Wow. So you know, so so you know, language is um, you know. Uh, it's built on patterns, you know, that we've mm-hmm. sort of developed over, you know, years. And, you know, a couple of guys sat down to really try and understand how those patterns function, yeah. um, certain, you know, linguistic um, patterns and behavioral patterns and all that sort of stuff. So, so it's not b- by no means is it some predictive mind control model, but, but right. you, you know, there, there is definitely rules of thumb and what's the what's the technical name for rules of thumb heuristics heuristics yeah Yeah, there's definitely heuristics and there's definitely models that that work a lot of the time that you can use to to be a more effective communicator Mm. um and but by and large i think to to live a more um effective life as well because i think a lot of the rules around nlp around you know being at cause not being at effect you know Owning your decisions versus being at the mercy of your decisions or being a victim, et cetera, et cetera. Right, so, so, so it yeah. teaches like really good primitives and principles. Wow. So um, anyway, I, I took that and went fucking selling pay TV. And wow. I had no idea what the fuck was on pay television. I didn't know. You know I, I didn't have a TV. <laughs> I had no idea what was on the channels or any wow. of that sort of stuff. But I'd, I'd look at the ch- name of the channels like National Geographic. So when I'm talking to people, I'd be like, look. You've got children, right? Yeah, I've got children. So it's right. really important to, you know, educate your children in a way that actually matters for the long term. I go, you know, schools these days aren't teaching children what they need. I'd spin mm. all this shit mm. about <laughs> the National Geographic <laughs> channel. <laughs> Meanwhile, half of it's alien documentaries and you know, or exactly, like or, you conspiracy know, theories. You and me ain't nothing but mammals, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so it's like... So, so I learned how to sell and basically door knocked my way to the top of that sort of business. Yeah. And got really disillusioned. Like after about six months, I'd felt like I'd sold my soul because I was like selling people shit that I personally would never fucking watch mm. or, you know, mm. do anything with. So mm. really that that was like really burnt me out. But it was the like I needed money. Like I needed to pay, I think it was ANZ like a thousand bucks a week at the time and, you know, some other bank like 600 bucks a week. So, so like before I could eat, like I had to make fucking money so so i'd spend my days door knocking mm-hmm. um and i'd spend my nights like reading about markets and monetary theory so so yep. that was my like because i was so like curious and angry about what had happened like yeah. i was like how could i be so fucking dumb like what yeah. actually happened yeah so what did that journey take you um it took me i mean 
you know, having a bit of a precursor with like Rich Dad Poor Dad, you know, yeah. and then he sort of teamed up with like the Mike Maloney's of the world. And, you know, then the Mike Maloney's of the world took me down like the Jim Rickards and Gerald Salentes and the Nuriel Rubini's at the time. Mm. And like so you all got deeper of, and deeper as you basically, as you, went, you know, like yeah. the Alex Jones of the world, like yeah. all that sort of stuff. So I, I became this complete nut job that was doing that stuff. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and look, some of it was really useful, right? So, mm. like, understanding monetary theory and fractional reserve and, like, going down that path, like, I sort of, like, realized that there's something fundamentally wrong with the monetary system. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, obviously went down, like, the whole fucking lizard people and conspiracy theories and, like, you know, what a lot of the fucking lunatics that... David Icke and... Yeah, like, and all that crazy yeah. shit, right? So, like, you know, I mean, that that's... <laughs> If you if you want to know where that path leads you, it leads you to Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a really bad path. <laughs> anyway, so so I sort of went through all of that, and uh, I guess the upshot of that was, you know, I, I spent time understanding markets, and I was like, okay, you know, there's something wrong here, and you mm. know, quantitative easing and all of that. So mm. so I was a beneficiary of that through getting into gold and silver really early, yeah, and really kind of redeeming that fuck up, yeah, with. Um, you know, buying gold and silver and sort of get, get, at least understand the essence of what, you know, Austrian economics and hard money and all of that espoused. Yeah. So I guess talk a little bit of it, like if you could talk a little bit about that, then that'd be great. Because I mean, from, from up till now, you've, you've essentially been, you're stuck in a, a, a situation where you've lost a lot of money. Um, you're just starting to realize that maybe things weren't the way that you were told they were. Um, so what, what were your main takeaways from that whole discovery process that then led you down this, this new road? Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I mean, quantitative easings are probably good, probably a good place yeah, to start. That, that was one of the big things. So, so the idea of money printing and the idea of your wealth being, um, expropriated yeah. was one of the big things for me. So I was like, yep, th- th- this is like fucked up. Um, and just trying to inquire on what the notion or the actual definition of money really is. Mm. Um, the thing is, I, I I didn't go deep enough. Yeah. Like, uh, if if I'd gone deeper, I think I would have discovered Bitcoin a hell of a lot earlier, mm. um, or I would have been interested in Bitcoin in a much bigger way a hell of a lot earlier. But I wasn't. Like, you know, and I also, you know, my brother and I made a bunch of money out of gold and silver. Yeah. And we sold out at the top, you know, because like one of the other things I'd spent some time really trying to understand was like charting and technical analysis and all that sort of stuff. Now, looking back for me on charting and technical analysis, I think that all of that shit is just fucking tea leaves and Mm. blind randomness that Mm. people find patterns in. Mm. But at the time, I I guess, you know, if there was one bit of luck or randomness that it did give me was like we timed the top of the gold and silver bubble so well it wasn't even funny like yeah. we we shorted that shit right at the top like we wrote it up and we shorted it on like basically the day that fucking silver did the blow off top yep. we shorted that bitch at like $49 like it was really like we could not have got luckier <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. just – and at that time, we thought it was skill. We thought it was brilliant. We thought it was smart. Yeah. Um, there may have been a little bit of skill involved, you know, maybe like 1%, you know, um, if I'm being realistic. But it was fucking luck yeah. shorting that shit on the okay. way down. So so for me, like I came out with a windfall mm. um, and I thought <laughs> I was really intelligent. Now, a lot was happening alongside this though. So yeah. during that time, during that whole discovery process of going down the conspiracy theories and the hard money and the quantitative easing and, you know, buying gold and silver and doing all of that stuff, I'd built three companies. Yeah. Maybe even four. Just just um, casually. Just just casually, like, you know, because 
I'm a lunatic and, you know, like <laughs> I was just seven days a week just working. But, yeah, I'd, I'd ended up building – I'd stepped out of selling pay TV and I'd ended up building my own sales company, yep. um, which did really well. Um, and then my business partner at the time took half the money and ran, left me with all the taxes and outstandings and all that sort of stuff. So I sort of learned my oh, first joy. lesson in my own business. Yep. Um, so I sort of picked up again and started my second company, which was a renewable energies business. Yep. And – Built that up, um, and that would have been right around the time that solar was was going pretty gangbusters. Gangbusters, yes. Yeah. So, so I, I started the renewable. I started the solar company right before those rebates really took took hold. Yeah, and you know we were sort of we prided ourselves in designing bespoke systems for people's houses mm -hmm. and then all the fucking monkeys came out of the woodwork yep. and we, we were sort of like as they do when the government incentivizes something correct so, yeah. so this is one of those other like things that happened which really serendipitous and really lined me up for bitcoin later yeah was um at first i was a beneficiary of these malaligned government incentives mm. um in an in an awkward sense because i didn't take full advantage of that shit like what mm. i should have done was i should have just gone and installed one point like 1.5 kilowatt systems are like a pointless fucking system to put on a family home mm. but they were like the max uh margin uh rebate that you would get yeah right for the um for the minimum system yeah so as, as a company you know you would only really have to build a customer 1500 bucks or two grand mm. the bulk of the money came from the rebate yeah and um like it was about six and a half grand or whatever it was and um and yeah you just fucking basically print money because yeah. you could just sell everybody a two grand system yeah and what we did was you know me and my stupid fucking ethical bone was like <laughs> we would actually go and design a system that made sense for the customer yeah <laughs> long term <laughs> yeah. and we'd sell them you know like a twenty thousand dollar system which still only got the six thousand dollar rebate so yeah. we was out there trying to like get 15 grand out of each customer whenever when all the neighbors are paying two grand correct for and solar for, 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 exactly yeah. and they think in their mind it's the same fucking shit so we'd yeah. go and educate the cousin do all this sort of stuff so it was a fucking grind man like I, you know <laughs> here i am trying to be honest and like we were one of like three companies originally in our space like in wollongong within a year like we were one of 40 wow. installers like wow. every fuckwit just came out of the woodwork and yeah. just was putting solace like on the wrong side of the roof. Yep. And um, it was just one of those things where, you know, the government just, you know, maybe someone in government or there was actually genuinely trying to do something good. Yeah. You know, they were like, oh, you know, it's good for the environment, you know, this is a, but, and I think we'll touch on this later, mm -hmm. right? Theory versus practice yep. is that the shit sounded good, but zero, I guess, execution capacity yeah like, you know just just doing it at the wrong level things just weren't thought through correct yeah i mean they, had, they hadn't considered the game theory behind it which exactly. is, which yeah, is yeah, the yeah. biggest yeah. issue the yeah, human yeah, factor yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and man we'll touch on game theory later around like <laughs> bitcoin and why it's so powerful yeah. versus um you know because it's got sound game theory so that was your second business a solid business correct so that was sort of like the big one because you know we were doing the right thing so we we hung around and look we, we actually made good margins um on a lot of the jobs because we you know provided a superior service we went for quality over quantity and um anyway r right toward the end of that like you know clusterfuck on that side of things as well so the um the government cut the thing short because they're like fucking you know this is getting out of control so if you don't have your system installed by the end of this month it was like three weeks away they're like you miss out on the rebate so Sheesh. everyone bonkers and we just installed a shitload of systems and the, the 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 downside effect of that was that the basically the rebate um, value halved. Um, wow. And 
it, it, it halved like because the renewable energy certificates that the rebate was made up of, like basically the, the market was flooded and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they dropped from 40 bucks down to like 18. So basically all of us idiots who went and installed all these systems and got like a couple grand out of the customer, you know, the money that we're waiting on for the wrecks was like 40 cents on the dollar and everyone went bankrupt basically. <laughs> so, you know, we, we had enough cash in the bank to sort of wind up and like pay off the employees and stuff like that. But I'd gotten myself in deep shit because I, I could sense something was coming because I was like, fuck yeah. man, this just happened in installation. I was like, it's coming here. So I, I'd gone and um, looked for something I could do that was like just away from the fucking government. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll put some money in a gym. I, um, yeah. I went and bought LED lights because I still wanted to like keep the renewable energy thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I'd half paid for the container of LED lights. I'd half built the gym and then all of this shit blew up in my face. And I was like, fuck, Whoa. can't finish the gym. <laughs> I ain't paying the rest of the money for the LED lights because like mm-hmm. everything was fucked. So anyway, I basically wound everything up. Like we, we, we tried to in vain finish the gym with this like really like high interest loan. It was a fucking mess. Whoa. And yeah, so the gym ended up failing. Um, and anyway, so so it, th- that was all happening at the same time as like, you know, I'd sort of set myself up for, um you know, with the gold and silver and all that sort of stuff. So mm. I kind of, everything collapsed on one side um, and I kind of got away with, not got away, got away is the wrong word, but I, I kind of had made some smart moves with gold and silver and that just sort of gave me enough of a base. And at that point in time, I was like, Fuck the world, fuck the government, fuck money, <laughs> fuck everyone. Um, and it was also around that time when I'd like watched, if you guys remember Zeitgeist with, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd gone down that rabbit hole. Fantastic so like, series. yeah, great series, but just um, wrong, like lack of solutions or wrong set of solutions for the problems at hand. Mm-hmm. So then I started becoming very, like almost, I mean, I'll say it, anti-capitalist. I was like, fuck my, so, so I kind of self-sabotaged myself through that as well. Like I probably could have saved the business. I could have done all that sort of shit, but I kind of like nuked the whole lot because mm. I just had enough. Anyway, um, I ended up becoming a fucking vegan. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting right now, right? Man, I went to LA, um, moved to Venice Beach, California for a bit. So when was, when was this on the, on the timeline? Was this 2010, 2011? 2011, 2012, 2011, yeah. 2012, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Somewhere around that. So yeah. there's a couple of years after. So why'd you move over to, to LA? Man, I was just searching for something. I had no idea. Like I was looking for something, um, went to Muscle Beach for a little bit. Like yeah, I had right. really no idea what the fuck <laughs> I was doing, right? Because um, it's not as nice as the pitches in, at Venice Beach. No way in it's, hell. And I still remember the first time I got there, like I, I, I rocked up to Santa Monica and I was like, Muscle Beach. And I was like, where's the weights? <laughs> and until I realized there was actually Venice Beach. And I was like, ah, fucking tourist. <laughs> so, There's people selling CDs everywhere. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. Everyone's homeless and shit. So yeah. Anyway, like uh, I went and learned to like dance salsa and all this sort of like weird shit that yeah, you just right. wouldn't expect from me, right? Yeah, okay. At this point in time in my life. So anyway, it was just a weird period. Like I, I went down like, um, you know, weird philosophies and like really like Eastern sort of thinking and meditation yeah. and yeah. Um, yoga and like so so basically a 180, like a polar opposite to like sort of my modality mm. that I choose to live in today. Mm. And yeah, I spent I spent about a a year on and off like being a hippie, and I literally set up an entire plan where um I was going to um I I, I it basically all culminated into me buying a one way ticket to uh, Bali 
and I was going to get lost in Indonesia and live off the land and come back in five years. After, Fair thing. Yeah, so I was like, I'd really gone off the fucking deep end. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> It did you was, end up in Bali? Did yeah, I, I did end up in Bali, and yeah. um, I had to buy a return ticket. And it was actually in Bali where everything changed. Okay, so where um, I actually met these three Russian models. <laughs> right, they changed everything <laughs> in Bali. In Bali, <laughs> um, and where, where in Bali? If it was it? <laughs> I, I was re- getting ready to go in the mountains. So, okay. so I'd, 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 it's really I was, nice up there. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So I was um, I was eight days through a water fast. Okay. So um, what, I, what is a water fast? In uh, no food. No, no, anything. Just water just only. Water. Yeah. So okay. I was um, eight days through. So I hadn't had a you know bit of food or anything. So anyway, and um, I um, saw these really hot girls at one of the cafes that I'd hang out where I'd hang out at the cafe and drink water all day. <laughs> <laughs> Chatting to three models, and and uh, one of them, like, man, she was fucking smoking hot, like. Jesus Christ. And she was from New York mm. and she kind of told me the story. So I, I told her about my story and how like I lost so much money on the markets and then this whole solar thing blew up in my face and all this sort of stuff. And I was, I, I guess I was being a victim, right? Yeah. Um, and she kind of was like, yeah, yeah, you know, all this sort of stuff. And she told me about her friend who was um, in New York and he'd lost $60 million on the markets and, you know, had, you know, spent a bunch of years sort of going through all that sort of shit. And he'd, you know, picked himself up at that point in time and he was going forward and, so it was that conversation that made me feel about that significant. Like wow. for those who aren't watching, this is like I felt about as significant as a fucking blade of grass yeah. <laughs> you know, in a meadow, like yeah. zero yeah. significance. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And it was that. And then at the same time, like I'd picked up um, Arnold's book, Total Recall um, yeah. from from the airport. And I don't know why the fuck I picked it up. I just did. And I bought it and I like I was sort of halfway through it and yeah. just – reading his story and the challenges and you know the, the the trials and tribulations he went through and he's like one of the people like i i have so much respect for mm. Arnold. like mm. basically conquered four completely disparate fields yeah throughout his life yeah um, business sport acting and government like it's yeah. incredible so reading that book i just kind of looked at myself in the mirror one day i was like the fuck are you doing what the fuck are you running from mm. um and yeah I booked a ticket back and you know, got my hands dirty on the next thing. So how did this all lead you to discovering Bitcoin and coming mm. across that? I'd heard about Bitcoin back in the, the gold and silver days, right? But yeah. I just dismissed the shit because I yeah. saw Max yeah. Kaiser jumping down, up and down on the couch and I was like, <laughs> what the fuck's this guy talking about? Um, and, and at that point, like I was starting to sort of have enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there was, um, you know, Doug Casey was still complaining about shit and, you know, Gerald Salente was still going on about the TSA, like rubbing him the wrong way and, right. you know, saying that the world's coming to an end and like all the doom and gloomers mm, basically, mm, like, you know, Mark Faber and like everyone. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. I was kind of like trying to get myself away from that. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, to my everlasting regret, kind of got away from Bitcoin um, or, or got away from the, the environment in which I could have really discovered Bitcoin yeah. um, at an earlier point in time. So um, w- when I came back, I sort of, you know, got into a bunch of random rackets. So like, um, like the, this health food chain, you know, that I sort of helped build, um, sort of started as a frozen yogurt chain, morphed into this like health smoothie bar and all this sort of stuff. And, cool. you know, that, that was one stint that really, really, really didn't suit my personality. Right. Um, you know, I, I sort of got off being a vegan, um, went down the path of like really, and this is now what, like 2014. So like five years ago and really mm-hmm. kind of jumped on the, 
paleo and you know whole foods wow, and yeah, you know, eating yeah. that sort of uh, way. So, so I was always sort of like just a bit ahead of the trend, mm. you know, because at that point in time, like veganism was just getting big and I was just getting the hell away from it. Yeah. And be like, guys, it doesn't work. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like I, I ended up building a, like this payroll automation app, which uh, like I, I didn't code it myself, but I was kind of like quasi product owner yeah. Uh, yeah. and sort of learned like really got my first stripes of what it takes to build a yeah. software business. And so a software were you working product. with like freelancers on like a yeah, bunch of freelancers, you know, and putting them all together and trying to get them aligned and cool. learning how, like what herding cats is like and, you yeah. know, how to take something out of your head and actually turn it into not only design, but code and product and function and for the user and all this sort of stuff. So I went through all of that stuff and that was really when I went down the path of like learning about lean startup and things like hard thing about hard things and, you know, capital raising and, you know, that sort of side of things. Anyway, I built that up and sold it to some, you know, people like really cheap because I just had enough of dealing with that. Um, And then took that experience and sort of rolled that into the next major startup. And this is sort of where I really earned my battle scars was Mm. in a company called iRecruit. This is sort of where some people know me from is I ended up on Shark Tank (laughs) (laughs) thinking that I was raising capital, you know, got my ego, you know, fucking definitely in the wrong place there. Um, Just for people who who aren't from Australia, what is Shark Tank? (laughs) YouTube it. (laughs) It's like a, it's a show where you go on there and there's like, bunch of ex-entrepreneurs current investors that you pitch in front of and supposedly for raising capital for your business um it it is not a capital raising event it's a one hour segment for entertainment purposes that's all it is so does it work for publicity i mean maybe you know i got some notoriety out of it because like i was on there really like i I got in there and brawled with the with the with the investors. Yeah. T- talk, I mean, t- it'd be interesting to hear. Talk to us a little bit about what going on Shark Tank is actually like. So when I got there, uh, th- they basically pair you with the um, the person who helps you basically script what you're going to say when you go in there. Uh, and they, they sort of try and come up with an angle that'll suit. And and the angle they came up with was like, oh, look, so you've you know you've already raised some money. You're already in business. So, so you're a little bit more sophisticated. Well, let's position you as the shark going into the shark tank. And so, you know, like they really set me up to look like an absolute <laughs> moron. <laughs> and here I am lapping this shit up, yeah. you know. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You're going into a room of very highly type A personalities, telling them that you're also one of them. Correct. Yeah. Oh, man. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, you moron. <laughs> like, and the thing that we scripted to say of me walking in was like, just made it sound so arrogant. And I can't even remember what I said, but it was like, yeah, uh, you know, we've raised this capital already and, you know, we're coming in here. We don't really need the money, but I'm just here to tell them how it is. You know, I feel like I'm going to be a shark. And so, you know, we scripted this really just arrogant fucking thing. Yeah. And like, I even felt like it would be arrogant at the time, but she's like, no, no, no. She goes, the audience will love it. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was Mm. like, "Uh, all right. (laughs) So I said this shit. Walked in there. It was really funny because I walked in and they hadn't got the cameras ready yet. So when you walk in at first, you're just standing there on this like X. They sort of like walk into the room and it's like you walk through this corridor like where there's like imagery on the walls of like sharks. It's like this really ominous sort of like lighting and shit. And you walk into this big ass fucking doors Mm. and you step into this, again, this ominous sort of feeling room Mm. at this X in the middle of this sort of like 
you know, stage area. And you got to stand there and just like sort of look at everyone. And the funny thing was like just, just to make things more awkward was I walked in and they're like, I'm sort of standing there just like looking at the judges and like smiling, waiting. And they're like, it's going to take two or three seconds. And I'm waiting, waiting. It's like 10 seconds past. It's like this awkward silence. And they're like, get him out. We've got to do it again. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> fucking <laughs> hell. So went back out and did that whole walk again with the camera following me along. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Stepped on that thing again. <laughs> awkward <laughs> smile. It's like, and, and action. <laughs> oh, so get up and you know hit my pitch and then um you know steve baxter sort of you know who's really bought into his personality on the mm, show mm, mm. does his usual asshole thing i've heard he's i've heard he's like that all the time well basically yeah. he's, he's basically bought into his persona in real yeah. life yeah i don't know he, he doesn't seem like a very happy individual but whatever I, I couldn't give two fucks about him so we um we sort of got into a bit of a tussle on the show like because he's like I was explaining what we'd done to date and the, the capital we'd spent to date and the product we'd spent to date and, you know, the iterations we'd gone through and everything. And he's like, you spent how much money and you, you, know, you haven't got a product yet, you haven't got customers yet, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, look, you know, we've been iterating. He's like, have you ever heard of a lean methodology or something like that? And I said something back, which was really smart ass. That was like a framework in that. Have you ever heard mm. of this? And he just sort of went red and he was like, no, nah, you know, I'm out. And we just sort of... Each time I was trying to answer a question from one of them, someone else would just like butt in with a question halfway through. So I couldn't answer any questions. So I'm like halfway through. And then I get like from one of them, they're like, you just don't want to listen, do you? And I'm like, okay, well, can you give me a chance to like answer a question? Yeah. Anyway, I walked out of there thinking, fuck, what have I just done? (laughs) Yeah. Because I also went there without board approval. Uh, so, oh yeah, right so, okay like, well i had board approval up until the day before yeah and the board changed their mind they're like look we don't want you to go we think it's gonna be a bad idea mm. and i just like because i'd gotten prepped i'd gotten through like all the auditions and so in my mind i was like man i gotta be there i was like yeah. this is gonna be yeah. publicity on tv yeah exactly yeah. it's gonna be good for us so anyway i kind of wish i listened to them but i didn't and when the show finally went live like i think it was like it was funny. Channel 10 almost went bankrupt between the time like I went I to the show that. and, and yeah, that yeah. happened. Yeah. So the show actually aired after I'd sort of been, I, I'd, you know, that event caused some friction with me and the board and, you know, it sort of ultimately resulted in me having a real, um, like th- they tried to bring unnecessary controls in the company that didn't align with the direction of where you know I had originally intended the company to go, so mm. so we sort of had these real philosophical disagreements, and you know I stepped down from the company, they took it over, they ran it in their own direction, and you know the company ended up going to liquidation and all this sort of stuff. So, I you know as far as I know, they sort of tried to revive it, phoenix it, or whatever they didn't you know take it, do their own thing. But as far as I know, that the things never worked, and you know nothing that they ever did you know actually happened. So I recruit. What was the concept behind I recruit? The basic concept was. Recruitment's broken. People are always placed in roles where they don't actually fit um, or that's not aligned to their personality. So I, I took a lot of the inspiration that I'd had from like neurolinguistics and, you know, just studying psychology and behavior and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I wanted to, well, me and Todd, who was my co-founder, um, we wanted to build kind of like a Tinder for jobs that right. used behavioral profiling skills, experience and all that sort of stuff to place someone in a role that's more suited for who they are. Um, wow. and, and we try to build a matching algo, you know, for that. And we try to do away with resumes. We try to do away with job ads and we try to get like employers on one side, you know, help them define who 
the ideal candidate is mm. for a role mm. um, without advertising the job. So just mm. creating that, uh, you know, basically creating that persona um, and then on the candidate side, helping them build their persona without putting a resume out and without applying for jobs. And then the algo would basically match them. So you may not even be looking for X job, but it would come up in your feed because it matched who you were, your skills, et cetera. So then, and then the idea was that they could both swipe right. And if they both swipe right, they'd connect and it'd allow them to then start a conversation. It was a really, really cool concept. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you said that you, said that you, don't, you don't think it's worked up until now. No one's been able to make it work. Oh man, two, uh, what I learned was two-sided marketplace is really hard. Yeah. So, so, so what we found was that the problem we had was we'd raised like you know five six hundred thousand dollars, but you know the, the money you need to really get a two-sided marketplace off the ground is extraordinary. Right. Like you know you need twenty, thirty, forty, fifty million dollars to yeah. really get something like that going and build this. Was it a you, data problem? Like was it a was it? No, it's it's a saturation problem because okay. if you've got no candidates on there, what what employer is going to come and yeah. like go and spend time and effort yeah. building chicken and egg? That exactly. That's really what it is. Yeah, you're seeing with that that with some of the there's a new drive or ride sharing service that's in Brisbane, but yeah. they need to get the drivers Correct. and the riders. So, so that's why I see see those kind of products are really winner take all. So so this, so this, this is probably an interesting anecdote is that this is re- where I really learnt about um, network effects and how those things happen, which also helps me really appreciate Bitcoin even more is that, um, you know, something like Uber is really a, a winner take all or winner take most type of market. And to win in that space, man, you need to throw like, I, I read a stat somewhere in the early days when uh, Uber was launching in Brisbane, like to launch in Brisbane, they had to dump $25 million on marketing here just to like really at the same time build drivers and riders and incentivize the fuck out of both of them to just get that initial critical mass. And once you pass a specific critical mass, the, the product becomes self-sustaining and it actually, the value of the network becomes less about the product and more about the actual network. Which is really interesting. So um, yeah, what, what we were lacking was just, I guess the, the sophistication and the expertise to go out and, you know, raise that sort of capital is really my first yep. tech startup and all of that. So I really, you know, I, I can say looking back on it now, I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Um, yeah. And, 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 and also I, I, there was a lot of whiplash from the board and, you know, we, we had an oversized board because one of the investors wanted to have like this, you know, massive board for corporate governance. Corporate oversight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so we were sort of like... Which works at a, at a high level. You know, works, works, works for maybe high, those $60 million companies. Correct. Yeah. F- for us, it was like, it was, we, we were top heavy. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and especially after my little shenanigan at um, Shark Tank, you know, <laughs> like they, they then tried to bring in a, you know, a, a head of operations who was this absolute Muppet who had uh, no idea about like running a startup. So then he started like coming in with like his idea of bringing systems in was sending the guys home at 5 p.m. Right. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, mm. you know, we're trying to run a startup. He's like, no, no, don't, you know, you, I, you've got to empower me to put the systems in place. Right. Um, and like just started burning the culture up and like it, it was just a mess. Like there, there was probably – there was a bunch of other hires that mm-hmm. we probably should have done at the time that would have been much more important than him and that would have, wouldn't have would have stepped on my feet. But you know what? I can also probably say at this point in time, I was also too uh, too arrogant to you know maybe accept the feedback that I needed. Yeah. Um, and I was like really adamant about, you know, keeping the, the young talent and all this sort of stuff. So, 
you know, th- th- there was mistakes on all fronts. Yeah. You know, they, they made yep. mistakes. I made mistakes. Um, you know, we butted heads and, you know, the shit blew up in our face. But that was my catalyst to find Bitcoin. So, and, and you know, because coming out of that, like I was pretty distraught because I'd, I'd spent two years, like I genuinely put my heart and soul in it. I didn't draw yep. a single wage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even paid for half my fucking travel out of my own pocket. That was like purely business travel. So I'd spent wow. all sorts of money on that shit. Um, yeah. I had not drawn a wage for two years. I spent all my savings. I even invested all my money in the company. So all this sort of stuff. So I was pretty pissed you know, yeah. out, the, out the back end of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, c- coming out of that, I was like, the writing was on the wall like before everything blew up. Mm. Um, so I sort of knew. So I was already, I wasn't explicitly looking for what I was going to do next, but I was like, my mind was open to something else. Yeah. And, you know, I sort of, someone mentioned Bitcoin again and I was like, fuck, is that thing still around? And sort of looked into it. And at that point in time, it was like, you know, 600 bucks or something. I was like, fucking what the hell? Like, because the last time I'd heard of it was like 10 bucks or something yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah, 30 yeah, bucks yeah. or 50 or whatever yeah. it was. Like, yeah. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. And anyway, then, then, you know, the, you know, the proverbial rabbit hole appeared. You took, you took the red pill. <laughs> Basically, man. Yeah. You know, I yeah. just sort of stumbled down that shit. <laughs> so, what, I mean, what did that look like? Because, I mean, we, we know you now as, one of the most prolific writers on Bitcoin. Obviously, you're running a Bitcoin company, um, but you know that that sounds like the point where you, you dove head first in and you really gave it a good look. Apart from the price, obviously, what attracted you to it first of all? How'd that exploration look for you? Yeah, well, I, I think m- multiple things. So, like, if we look back to um you know the the elements. So, so I think at that point I was dirty with with the world anyway, and and I and I'd felt like my money had been stolen and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, what else is out there? What can I do? Like, what's interesting? And I, I think like I, I would have to credit Antonopoulos was like really the the voice that got me like interested. Like I I stumbled on one of his videos like. I still remember in the early days, like, so so along during that whole iRecruit journey and all that sort of stuff, I'd, like, heard of Bitcoin again, and I, I remember watching some doco, like, or a segment of a doco, and I saw that moron Roger Ver crying about babies and shit, and I was like, fuck, these idiots, like, what's wrong with these idiots? Like, like I... So I dismissed Bitcoin the first time because I was too busy with gold and silver. I dismissed it the second time because I saw a moron crying, and I was like, these guys are fucked. Um, and it was the third time where I finally heard someone intelligent talking about it. And I was like, fuck, I resonate with that concept. I resonate with that concept. I resonate with that concept. You know, I, I'd already at this point, like, so, so throughout my life, I've always been an avid reader. So, you know, during that period of iRecruit, like I'd really spent time, you know, delving deeper into human psychology, anthropology, how we've evolved as a species, as a society, shared fictions and all this sort of stuff. And there was elements of, you know, that, thesis that came out in a lot of um andreas's talks and i was like fuck this there's something more here and i just just kept digging kept sort of you know researching and trying to understand it and yeah but basically what i uncovered was that this thing is so much bigger than what i thought and by the time i'd really uncovered that like the the whole you know, Ethereum really started to take off. And then, you know, I was like, oh, what's Ethereum? And I sort of went down that rabbit hole. And in the early days, like, I fucking loved Ethereum. I thought mm. this was thing was br- brilliant. Like, mm. I mean, you were there as well. Like, yeah. we've all sort of been <laughs> there. Did. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the ICOs came out. And then I, initially I thought that was fucking brilliant. And it, it was really – ICOs were the, the tipping point for me to really become a strong Bitcoiner mm. because it, it was – 
like I, I've yeah. I've got a real sense of like first principles thinking because of you know the background that I've had in math and engineering and all of that. So like engineering is really about first principles. It's effectively what it is, and I. I, I still remember, and I say this story to everyone, is like there was a point in time. So so during that whole journey, I was like going out there telling everyone to buy crypto, buy Bitcoin, do, you know, this and that. And everyone, like it was always in the too hard basket for everyone. And that's sort of where I came up with the idea yeah. of Amber, which was originally called Stash. And, you know, it was yeah. during that time where I considered doing an ICO for Stash. And, you know, everyone was like, man, I'd throw fucking 50 grand at that, you know, all this sort of stuff. Mm. And like I was like, all right, screw it. You know, I'll do it. Like, I'm going to start writing a white paper. I went and grabbed all these white papers and I spent a weekend in Byron, you know, trying to understand this whole new landscape of like this incredible new way of raising capital. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I walked out of that Byron Bay trip 20 IQ points dumber um, <laughs> because like I couldn't believe the shit I was reading. I was like, what the fuck are these people selling? There's nothing here that mm. printing money out of thin air. And that was like the first thing that broke my faith in the, the whole thing. Mm. I was like, fucking hell, this is another Ponzi scheme. Like, cause I'd really, you know, during that initial period, like I'd spent time inquiring on what the hell happened in 2008. Like the, you know, the Ponzi that the financial system became and mm. like the, 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 the crap on crap on crap that we were selling. Like this thing just felt so reminiscent and like looking at the prices and how everything was moving. I was like, Holy fucking shit. Like this is, you know, there's people here using the Bitcoin narrative, which is this narrative about, you know, equal, not equality, but equalizing, you know, Mm. access Mm. um, Mm. and, you know, and making money sound again and, Mm. you know, decentralizing and all this. They took all the fucking buzzwords and they slapped them on basically (laughs) things that made QE look normal (laughs) like so you know at least there was some you know framework Mm. in what the fed did like Mm. this was out of control money printing by deranged morons like who had no concept of what they were doing and yeah man like i i i could almost credit icos to making me a bitcoin maxi because at that point in time like i just got so angry then i started questioning like ethereum's basis i was like fuck if this is what ethereum was designed for this is fucking retarded mm-hmm. then i started questioning like the whole because ethereum's narrative just kept changing like it was you know whatever it was in the beginning like dow's in the beginning mm-hmm. and it was like mm-hmm. the, the world computer and like yeah, always yeah, yeah. always had something wrong with the world computer because i was like well how many things really need to be built on some global world computer that need to be decentralized mm. costly and mm. that must not be stopped i was like well i don't know maybe a you know a an eBay for terrorists, um, you know, like a, you know, a hooker's site, you know, like I was like, you know, not really many things like, mm. it, it, like the, the cost benefit ratio didn't make sense to me. So, mm. you know, my, my, you know, the cracks really started to appear for me. And then, you know, the, the, towards the end of, yeah, 2017, like there was shit being said by people like Vitalik that I just like, and then the, their stance on like proof of work, particularly, cause I really mm-hmm. found mm-hmm. proof of work, interesting from a probabilistic standpoint like the game theory around proof of work and the fact that you know what what we've developed with bitcoin is this you know this unforgeable unit Mm. uh, which effectively transforms energy into a a unit that we can collectively verify and agree upon and all this stuff so it just started being so profound and then these idiots starting to talk about proof of stake and saying that proof of work is just stupid and you know, it's too expensive and it's going to blow up. They're like, just all of this incoherent 
noise. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, you probably saw me in the early days being very like Bitcoin heavy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, started to be like, oh, you know, Alex is just a naysayer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I, I just started getting louder and louder about my opinions mm-hmm. and then put pen to paper because, you know, I think I've always been relatively good at, you know, putting forth like a coherent argument mm-hmm. about things. And then, yeah, some of my articles started, you know, getting a – I wouldn't say they went viral, but, you know, they got pretty popular, you know, and then I was getting published on Hacker Noon and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of uh, – you know, whilst all of that was happening, you know, I, I you know, formed a plan to build the next business, um, which was, you know, now what we call Amber. And, you know, sort of he- here we are today. Wow. So before we get into Amber, you mentioned just earlier that Bitcoin was bigger than you thought it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean for you? Oh, shit. What, what, what does it not mean? Um, hmm. I guess every, every time I feel like I've, um, I've come to this new profound understanding of Bitcoin, you know, and, and I look back on my prior understanding, I was like, fuck, I was dumb. Now I know. Mm. And then three weeks <laughs> later, I'm like... Fuck, I was dumb. Now I know. <laughs> it just it just keeps getting bigger and bigger yeah, and bigger. Yeah. So like, there, there's a there's a really good. Uh, have you guys heard of Gigi? No. Uh, he's this. He, he's he's a he's a writer. Um, I mean, he's Coda writer. He's sort of like pseudonymous dude. Um, How's on, that on spelled? Twitter, just G I G I. But his um his his Twitter handle is D E R. So dare Gigi or so D E R G I G I. So he he's um. He's written sort of this thing called uh, like the 21 lessons he's learned from Bitcoin. And like if right. you can pull it up, Matt, like the, we can sort of talk to a couple of those. So Gigi, if you're listening to this, love you, bro. And I'm just going to, you know, shout your ass out here on this. But I think it's it, like his, his thing is a, is a really good model around uh, how profound Bitcoin is. So he talks about how, you know, B- Bitcoin redefines not just money, but it defines uh redefines time it redefines locality so like for example if i asked you where do you hold your bitcoin like can you actually answer that question yikes no i like, mean you've got really, a place really, where there's a wallet but that's not where your bitcoin is yeah exactly like you know like i've got a friend of mine who um takes his mnemonic uh seed phrase and for each word he takes a photo with that word and then he creates a collage and it's wow in his room and he's fucking seed phrases right there. No one's ever going to guess that that's where, so, but is that where the Bitcoin is? Mm. I don't know. Not really. Like, so, so there's like, so, so Bitcoin's like really profound. It's turned the concept of money into like, like ephemeral information almost. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. There we go. Beautiful. So yeah, the concept of free speech, the concept of value, money, sound money, um, you know, He's got in here. So I love his uh, how he's termed the immaculate conception of of Bitcoin. Like this idea that you know it was this thing that came from nowhere. Mm. Um, you know, really was dismissed, and it it like th- that those formative years were like really. No one would have guessed that you can't replicate that shit. Mm. And then the founder disappeared. Like it's mm. just th- that's the kind of shit myths are made of. Mm. Like and, and it's funny that he's used immaculate conception there because there's a lot of parallels. Exactly, there's, there's that's parallels. why he uses it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that's why he uses it because that that's so. When people talk about 
oh yeah, well, you know, what if someone makes a bit of Bitcoin? Mm. You know, it's like that's the elements that they're missing. Yeah. Like particularly that immaculate conception bit, you cannot go and replicate that initial formative phase of Bitcoin. Yeah. It's impossible. Well, let's, I mean, let's focus in on that particular con because that, that has resonated through nearly every piece I've seen you write. Mm -hmm. That's rep that's resonated between it within nearly every presentation I've seen you present is that it's, it's not just about, one thing with Bitcoin that can be replicated. Yes. It's not just yes, about yes, being yes, better. Yes, yes, there, yes. there is a there's a complete package to Bitcoin, a number of different elements that go into it that make you very confident that there's not going to be another Bitcoin. Correct. Like people say. Yeah. Like I was on a podcast with this dude uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was mm-hmm. asking me, uh, what, "What about?" He, oh, he he said something about, "Oh, the the governments they're going to take the best parts of Bitcoin and make something better." Mm. And I was like, "Well." What do you define as better? Like, you know, what they're gonna they're gonna create some network with faster payments. Like, d- define better. Like, are they gonna give? Are they gonna create a censorship resistant network that's not run by anyone? Is that what they're gonna give us? Like, so so better in what context? Like, so so like. I mean, if the governments were what we thought they were, they might. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, by definition, they won't though. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because like you know, because someone can't you know, give you that, like you need to get the fuck out of the way to give you what Bitcoin yeah. is. So, um, yeah, like w- w- when I look at Bitcoin, like it's, it's one of these, you know, what I sort of kind of call it like a complex emergent phenomena. It's like I, I introduced what I called like the Bitcoin recipe mm. in, in mm. that talk in 2017, mm. 2018, which was, you know, you've got game theory, networking, computer science, um, blocks of data hashed together, mm. uh, economic incentive disincentives like all all of these elements combined together in this unique recipe you know you you then take that recipe and it sort of happened at exactly the right time with um you know the 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 spirit of the time was right Mm. the um the essence of the people who first touched it was perfect and this is sort of where this immaculate conception piece comes out you know there's all of these random elements that were just perfect for what Bitcoin would today become mm. that um that allowed it to to pick up that initial traction that allowed it to be relatively well distributed in the early days like mm. we are still like now learning about how profound it was you know how profound just the issuance rate is yeah like for example yeah. like you know people are like oh so what why did he start with why is it an asymptotic curve why wasn't it just linear mm. well if it was linear, that extra incentive in the early days to like give people a reason to try and you know mine the shit whilst it was collectible mm. um, or whilst it was a collectible mm. wouldn't have happened. So like mm. there's just the, the, the things and the way it sort of rolled out um, and evolved from the early days. That is the piece that's you know irreplaceable and it's non-replicatable. Mm. And when you then start to um, take some of the elements of uh, you know convergent network effects, so mm. or convergent networks such as money mm. um, or communication, you sort of apply that alongside this immaculate conception and this thing that's sort of formed and grown organically, um, and that has uh, all of the participants who are at different levels, whether you're a validator, miner, node operator, whatever. You everyone's got skin in the game. Mm. Everybody mm. has skin in the fucking game. Um, and whilst working their own self-interest, they're working for the interest of the whole. You know, mm. so we've got this first time in history where the um, 
you know, the, the collective or the commons, you know, is actually aligned, which is mm. fucking mm. wild because we've mm. never had that before. So, so mm. you get all of that stuff and then you, 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 you slap on these um, convergent uh, network effects like money, for example. Money is most functional uh, when everybody is using the same unit of money. It's why we have one Australian dollar in Australia. It's why we have uh, one US dollar in the US. Like in a specific jurisdiction, money converges to unity because that's when it's useful. Um, and then what also uh, makes that happen at a faster rate, particularly with like, I guess this is less important with money by decree and more important with um, emergent money that sort of emerges uh, as, a, as a market good is that, the the one with the um the most early utility as you know a, a broadly accepted store of value or, or um you know is the one that starts to pick up the most liquidity in the early days and the one that picks up the most liquidity is where more capital flows mm. um and the one that you know particularly in bitcoin's case the one where you know more capital flows then incentivizes more validators and participants into the network and it literally at each point in time just is this almost like a black hole that just sucks more participants in, sucks more capital in it. It then, you know, makes this network more secure and it starts to effectively become this runaway train that nobody's going to catch. Like, so, mm. so at this point in time for every year that Bitcoin grows, any new starter or, you know, like any better than Bitcoin, you know, network is going to need 10, 11 years of that same complex sort of, you know, growth and immaculate conception and, you know, all of these variables. And it needs to be like fucking 100x, you know, better or more profound than what Bitcoin is. Mm. Mm. Man, the, the chances of that happening in our lifetime or at least the next few generations or five or ten generations, I think is practically nil. And I, I guess the, the, the final piece for me which really just nails uh, Bitcoin down for me is like the fact that it's taken the one – unit or the one concept in the universe effectively which is energy energy is mm. the one thing that is unforgeable you know unreplicatable like it's taking actual fucking energy and it's mm. converting it into digital immutability and digital scarcity i don't know how you can beat that mm. like I, I i'm yet to fucking understand in any way shape or form in my mind how we're going to develop something superior to that until we transcend energy mm. and maybe start operating across the multiverse. Mm. I don't know, but I'm pretty damn sure that ain't going to happen in my <laughs> lifetime or yours or my damn kids or any of them. That's so right. like Bitcoin's pretty fucking good yeah. for now and for yeah. the foreseeable future. Like these idiots talking about, you know, oh, what's going to supersede Bitcoin. Yeah. They, they, they have no sense of how long this sort of a cycle will actually be. Mm. And maybe talk to that a little bit more because one of, one of the one of the big things that we, we've heard, in, particularly in the last couple of years in the crypto world, is that Bitcoin isn't adapting fast enough. Bitcoin uh, isn't, you know, the transaction fees are too high because it's, it's too slow and they haven't mm -hmm. adapted it fast enough. We can't buy our coffees with it anymore, blah, blah, blah. Um, but one thing that I've heard you talk about, which is very, very interesting and um, and and kind of resonates very well with that concept is that um, it's not it's not really about that. It's not about how fast these things go. It's about 
building a, a solid foundational layer. Yeah. So maybe and, – and then, you know, and, and then other things can be built on top of that. But maybe talk to that a little bit more as well. Well, I think – so I put up a tweet a little while ago which was, um, you know, in, in a world uh, of, you know, extremely high time preferences where, you know, everyone's become basically a junkie for now, you know, meaning the, I, I want my, you know, Netflix hit now, I want my sugar hit now, I want my – you know, laugh hit now, I want my fucking alcohol hit now, whatever it is. Like we just, we, you know, the, the concept of patience has gone out the window and the concept of like low time preferences and, you know, investing for the future um, has completely gone out the window. And, you know, we, we've we've skewed our concept of, you know, adoption. Like, you know, the, the word adoption gets thrown around by, like I was at this blockchain conference the other week, which was just this like, you know, I'm just it was a circle jerk. Like it was the same people saying the same shit over yeah. and over again, just throwing words around like adoption and enterprise and blockchain and this, not not having any clue what they're talking about. And I think you were at that meetup where I first like brought up how do we measure adoption in Bitcoin? The measurement for adoption in Bitcoin is not many people are buying a fucking coffee for fuck's sake. Like who gives a shit about that? That that that's not what Bitcoin is designed for. Like digital immutability is about like literally time is immutable like mm. that's the one thing we cannot reverse mm. like the, the world the universe as far as we understand moves forward in time you know mm. we might be able to compress time mm. um you know because of you know speed mm. and all of that sort of stuff and and mass but we 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 can't reverse it mm. the digital world has always been able to be reversed because mm. there was no cost you know in that space so bitcoin's in a extraordinarily profound way like bridged the two realms mm. and effectively brought this um, concept of forward moving time in the digital realm where it, it becomes improbable or, or more and more improbable as time goes par- by to reverse time in the digital realm and everything probabilistically converges to moving forward in time. Um, we saw that with the you know the whole Binance hack, and they were talking about reverse bullshit. They, they, they were never a they were never going to reverse it. B the the, the game theory worked, mm. which was had they attempted to reverse or even got an inkling of success in that manner, it would have undermined the very thing that they're building on. So so the the, the game theory works. Like all these idiots talking about oh they theoretically could have done it. Yeah. That's not what game theory is. Mm. Game theory is how does it work in practice? So, mm. so when I look at Bitcoin like that, you, you, we're seeing this profound thing and there's people talking about, oh, well, how many people are using it for coffees? Well, my question is how many people are actually storing wealth on this thing? Mm. That's what matters. And we as a society or as a species have learned to store wealth on objects or units or artifacts or collectibles that don't change, mm. that stay the same over a period of time. So, so this is why, as a society, we converged over time to, um, to to a consensus that gold was the best form of money. Why? Not just because it's fucking yellow and shiny, but because it had attributes that made it a good uh, object to be imbued with store of value properties. Mm. You know, it was inert. You, know, you could pass it down from generation to generation. You know. Gold in Asia is the same as in Africa, is the same as in Europe, is the same as in the Americas. So it had all of these elements. It was recognizable, et cetera, et cetera. So it had Mm. all these elements of what a good money is. So Bitcoin embodies those concepts so well. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll touch on Lindy effect here is the longer 
it's around. So, so the concept of uh, a Lindy effect is the longer something is around, the stronger it gets. Money uh, is a is a thing, technology, consensus, shared fiction, whatever, whichever way you want to define money, is um is this concept that gets stronger with time and the longer it's there because money is fundamentally shared fiction. Um, and then what we the, the thing we use for money can be something completely fictional like fiat um, or the most functional money is something that does have objective elements that you know allow money to function like a good that you know we can build robust con- co- collective consensus around instead of just the fluffy fucking idea which is what fiat is um, so so, yeah, so, 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 so coming back to that, I think that's really where the, the, the narrative of Bitcoin is so powerful is that, you know, they have optimized for the things that matter, which is consistency, stability, self-sovereignty, censorship resistance, um, you know, uninflatability. Like the, 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 the fact that it's, you know, fixed supply and the consensus rules imply that. I can go and create my own fucking Bitcoin Alex's version tomorrow or, you know, someone said, you should go create Bitcoin Svetsky's version. <laughs> that would be my Bitcoin SV. Bitcoin SV yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go brawl with Craig Wright. He'll probably sue me for like Oh no, All you, you got to do is go edit a few of your old forum posts. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, I'll be like, look, I've, I said this first. <laughs> um, so and get uh, audited by the AFP. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I can go and do that, but... Yeah. No one's going to follow me. Like, you know, yeah. the, the, the power of Bitcoin is that this concept of like opt-in, opt-out. Um, and, you know, it's it's when you opt-in and, you know, agree to those consensus rules that mm. you're a part of the network and you're in. Mm. Um, and it's a non-violent in, you know, no one's forcing you. Yep. It's a non-violent out. Like, man, there's just, I could go into a bunch of rants here as well. Like, you know, how that sort of reminds me of like, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugs and stuff like that. So mm. I know, happy to go into no, that. No, let's, like, let's explore that a little bit because I mean, that, that is a big piece of the Bitcoin puzzle is that it is, it's a decentralized open source yeah. um, network where no one is king. Yep. And it, 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 is, it is almost pure free market. Correct. It, well, it is. It's the closest yep. thing to pure free market capitalism mm. as possible. Like mm. I've not in anything I've ever seen, like – I was I was catching up with um with a friend of mine who I'm trying to, well I'm saying that conversion is complete. So so she says she's a traditional <laughs> economist, um and I've put her through conversion therapy, <laughs> and she's now a bitcoiner. She's woke. <laughs> she, she's woke, no longer broke, and like she's full messaging me and stuff like she's like oh this that and you know so, oh wait hold on what what were we what were we just talking about just before I said that, Ayn Rand there was there was a. Pure free market. Yes, pure yes. pure free market. So, so we're talking about Austrian economics, and she was talking about like mm. you know the the elements and the core tenets. And I said, look, all of this has been theory because as a society, like you know, we've gotten close to understanding what a you know a truly mm. capitalist sort of framework would look like. We've been lacking the tool. Mm. Gold was nowhere near good enough mm. to allow for something like the Austrian school of economics, as an example, yep. to really flourish and to be able to function. In society, like, because at the end of the day, every form of money that we're going to introduce would have, in some way, shape, or form, concentrated. Anyway, so, Mm. so, like, this is the first time we've been able to actually separate. And and this is, I'll say this here is the fight in our generation and this century and this decade is going to be the fight for the separation of money and state, right? Yes. So, and and, and we'll we'll get into that later, but yeah, Bitcoin was the missing piece. Mm. 
for, mm. for all of these more robust, mm. you know, uh, discussions around a truly capitalist um, system that rewards production, that rewards skill, that rewards um, input, mm. uh, and energy. That, Energy, exactly. Work, right? Mm. Again, we come back Proof to that concept. <laughs> Proof of fucking work. Um, you know, the only thing that allows for something like that is a system that is fundamentally fixed mm. in supply, fixed in nature. Mm. Like the, the analogy I use, and this is sort of what got her over the line, because we we're talking about inflation versus deflation. I said, let's transcend that argument yep. and let's just talk about, you know, the energy in the universe. Can we create more energy? No, we can't. Can we destroy energy? No, we can't. Energy is fixed. So if energy is related to work and we can and work is fundamentally related to the input in society, and mm. society is just a function of the inputs all of the participants put into it, then it you know, you can logically through first principles, you know, deduce that the best form of money, which is the unit through which we measure work and input, should also be fixed. Mm. Like and th that is such a solid argument. And she was like, mm. "Holy fucking shit!" Um, <laughs> and as I was saying it, I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I'm gonna write an article on yeah, this. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I am actually writing it. So I started writing an article a little while ago saying that B equals C, yeah, which is um, you know, the the Bitcoin symbol equals C, which is you know the the symbol for the speed of light, which is this fixed constant mm. that we can finally use um in the world, in society, in in you know in physics basically to start to start measuring things that we've never been able to properly measure before mm. because everything's been so messy. So mm. anyway, we've sort of gone on 10 tangents there. So let's, let's close the first loop, yep. which was uh, just prior to Ayn Rand. What was I saying? Cause I'm going everywhere here. We're talking about, Aust <laughs> we talk, you, you mentioned Austrian economics. We, mm -hmm. we both know what Austrian economics is. Mm -hmm. if, if you had to summarize Austrian economics in oh, a few sentences. Where's Stefan Levero when you need him? <laughs> it's, a, it's a set of um, models which talk about low-touch economics. So, yeah. so, so the, the less input from centrally planned sort of, you know, whether it's authorities or bureaucracies or whatever, mm. you know, the, the, the more wide you set the goalposts mm. for an economy to operate mm. um, and – you know, it's all predicated on having a free free market for money, mm. um, particularly. So, so, so again, th this is why Bitcoin's so important for Australian economics because we've never had a free market for money, really. Yeah. Like uh, outside of gold, and which was the best we could do in a physical world. Mm. But you know, I guess if we're moving into a digital world, which we continually mm. are, like mm. we're going to need something better. So, you know, it, it's it's an economic system that you know is predicated on the idea of a free uh, free market money. Um, that's not priced by anyone where, you know, regulations and rules are as wide as possible um, such that capitalism is really the driver mm. that now remember what we're talking about. We're talking about Bitcoin being the only system that rewards production. Mm. Um, yeah. So anyway, this will tie in really nicely with, you know, Austrian economics, which yeah. is, you know, the idea that it's production, it's work, it's input that's valuable. And, and Bitcoin's this, system that incentivizes that and you know the, the game theory disincentivizes fraudulent or bad actor behavior um the, the, there's no rent seeking in the bitcoin space you know you can't go and just hang out and add layers of bureaucracy onto the bitcoin network so that you can earn more bitcoin like it doesn't exist so so it, it starts to really fuck with the way that you can't um, fractionally lend on the on the bitcoin network itself yeah, it's yeah. it's a real like um, it's 
real spanner in the works for like <laughs> and, and I guess in your words, why is that a good thing? Because obviously we're living in a time. It's it's really interesting that you say that the the fight in our time will be for the separation of money and state. Because uh, the, the from from what most like there there, there is definitely a groundswell of voluntarist slash anarchist slash libertarian people who you know believe that we've gone the wrong direction in emerging into the modern age with the same ruling structures we had we've had for human history mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. that we should be shedding those shackles as well but yep. those kind of people are in the minority it seems like the majority of people are looking to the state more yeah for things like this yep. and 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 for them to hear that we think it may be a good idea for us to be going the other direction and separating money away from those traditional custodians of the, that we've grown up with for money, that could be quite jarring. So, and Austrian economics is an extension of that as well. Correct, That's yeah. why a lot of people aren't fans of it Correct. Um, because it's, it's very different. It's very scary. Yep. Um, <laughs> you've got to take responsibility for what yes. you do. Yes, yes, um, yes. So, so I guess in your words, why is that important? You know, why should people, why should people who are our age and, people who are coming in to this Bitcoin thing, why should they be fighting for a separation of money and state? Well, let's um, – so, so you touched on the word responsibility, yep. which I think was the, the loop we didn't also tie prior to that one, which was mm. the, the time preference concept, mm. which is, you know, we're in this world of like the instant hit, right? And, and, and what we're doing is we're constantly chasing the next high without appreciating that the, the, the idea of good things take time, you know, and that – you know, effort and work is what matters and, you know, production for the long term, et cetera. So, so like we've – what we're doing is we're basically pushing this – pushing shit up a steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper hill and we're just throwing debt – like if, if I use an analogy for software, like, you know, most people have heard of tech debt or technical debt mm-hmm. is, you know, people build, write really fucking scrappy code just to get something built and get it out the door. MVPs. Exactly, MVP. Then they build, you know, shit on shit on shit on shit until they get to the point where the whole thing falls over, mm. you know, or, you know, in the case of a lot of shit exchanges, like something gets hacked and everything comes undone, is every shortcut has a price. And we've sort of moved into this world where everything we do is so shortcut oriented because we want everything now. And that is a function of, you know, the way this inflationary system that we live in uh, has been designed or, or, or has come about, mm. you know, maybe more accurately is the resource we have through which we measure the work and input we put into society is constantly losing purchasing power. So we are incentivized to go and run forward without fucking regard, chase yield you know we've all got to learn to be traders and investors and invest in shit we have no fucking clue about instead of working on the things that actually we care about and that matter um you know we can't feel safe putting our you know the wealth that we've earned we can't store it anywhere at the moment <laughs> particularly not with these new cash laws that are coming exactly yeah, yeah like everything's becoming quicksand around us because we're in this perpetual race against each other and against ourselves for the next sugar high that is losing potency every time, you know, we hit a new sugar high. So the effects are becoming less and less and less. So, so what, what we're basically heading towards is like what I sort of said about that tech debt is these things can only extend for so long. And, you know, all natural systems come back to equilibrium at some point in time. And we're just sort of moving so far past the equilibrium that it's, you know, just not funny anymore. So 
why is this important for people our age um, is, you know, is a very interesting question. So yeah, multiple things I can touch on there. Number one, it's, you know, it's quite contrarian at the moment, as you mentioned, it is jarring for most people. Um, you know, I always have been a fan of being a contrarian in, in the way I think. Um, and, and contrarianism isn't, you know, about just saying the fucking opposite thing. It's about finding something that the masses believe in, but that the masses are believing in because they've heard it's a good idea. They haven't explored yeah, the first principles yeah. of the substance beneath it. Like mm-hmm. it's an ideology upon an ideology upon an ideology. You know, like equality is one of those examples. Like it sounds really nice in principle, but in practice, you know, the only way to get equality is to force people into equality and to fucking use violence. So yeah, it's a really yeah. fucking dumb idea actually. So, so you know, being contrarian is um, really important. So in a world where sugar hits and, you know, the next high is what everybody's doing, being patient and having a low time preference mm. and spending the time to build quality over just fucking blind rampant quantity will set you apart. And setting yourself apart is, you know, important in any sense. Um, number one. Uh, number two is that, you know, that this sort of slow motion train wreck can only last like so long. Like, the, the, you know, the, the, the time to pay the piper will come. And, and the question is like at that point in time when, you know, wealth starts to really disintegrate for a lot of people because the wealth that we've sort of supposedly built over the last 10 years and potentially even 100 years mm-hmm. um, is largely just made up on those ideologies upon ideologies. Yeah. There's very little substance yeah. there. So who's going to be the person holding a unit that is unconfiscatable, uninflatable um, and uncompromisable? Like is that not going to be a better place to – store the wealth which is effectively the conversion of the you know the input you put into society so so that's another big element there and um and and i think finally i'll I'll end on this analogy you know at least for this section is um the idea that you know what's fundamentally wrong with the system now is if you or i go out and we start a business um or we got to you know court someone to date them or you know we set up a friendship by and large Taking randomness out of the equation because, you know, sometimes randomness comes in and just you you can do all the right things and shit still blows up in your face, right? (laughs) Um, But, you know, by and large, you you do the right thing um, and you get rewarded. Like you make good investment, you get rewarded. You do a dumb thing like, you know, you, you know, you spit in your girlfriend's face for no fucking reason or, you know, you forget to pick her up or whatever. Your relationship ain't going to last long, right? Mm. Um, Or, you know, you make bad investments, you're going to lose money. So there's consequences to doing bad things and there's rewards for doing good things. So, so fundamentally nature is built on this, you know, again, at first principle, nature is built on this um, incentive, disincentive system. You know, that mm. this is, you know, if anyone's read The Selfish Gene by um, uh, Dawkins, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this idea that, you know, evolution has come about through incentives, disincentives. It's, it's how we function. Pleasure and pain is incentive, disincentive. So the only mechanism in society or in the universe that exists that this doesn't apply to is basically governments and central banks, which is, <laughs> you know, they go out and they make a bet. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they make a good bet and they make money. Um, and more often than not, they just make a really fucking bad bet um, or a dumb decision and whatever. Mm. They don't pay for it. Like, you know, mm. we pay for it through taxes or through inflation or through the manipulation of interest rates, yeah. or through more fucking laws, or through yeah. more regulation, mm-hmm. or through more oligopolies, or mm-hmm. through more like it's basically it's it's the, it doesn't exist in any other natural system, 
except for our deranged fucking human species who have sit, sat there and, you know, a couple of us have decided that um, it's fair for the few to um, have a extraordinarily unfair advantage with zero accountability over everybody else. Spot on. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I'm not here to sit here and be the fucking champion for the little person, all that sort of shit. Like, like, let me take that out of the equation at the moment. This isn't, you know, just fucking I'm some saint with some altruistic thing. Like I'm inherently selfish and, you know, I give a fuck about myself and I want to be the best that I can be because if I'm the best that I can be, I can add more value to society um, and I can be of more use. Mm. And, you know, that's a recursive sort of feedback loop to me then caring more about myself, you know, and the people that I care about, et cetera. So, um, you know, that that's functional because that, that's natural. Whereas the world that we live in today is like really fucking skewed and we've got all these random distortions. Like people are wondering why there's such an income gap. You know, it's a lot of those people who are super filthy rich are not there thanks to some profound, you know, uh, input to society and productivity that they've, you know, added or, you know, or, or that, you know, that they've, that they've had. Mm-hmm. They're there because they've, um, you know, been a rent seeker or they know, they've known mm-hmm. a rent seeker that's mm-hmm. managed to build a moat, not of uh, better innovation, but of more complex yeah. fucking regulation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so the, it's like now, now like the innovation in society um, has now become who can create the most convoluted, most fucked up regulatory framework mm. such that, you know, the, the people who are close enough to the center um, can maintain an edge whilst everybody else can't. So, so now we're, we're, we're effectively disincentivizing productivity, honesty, hard work, innovation, and we're incentivizing stupidity, laziness, rent-seeking, complexity, and you know, all of the crap that we've got. So, so Bitcoin just drives a stake into all of that. Wow. Yeah. It's my rant. <laughs> well, as you know, you're saying about thrill seeking, you know, looking for the next thing instead of actually look at things that last. It seems like Amber's actually built a bit of an antidote to that because from my understanding, Amber is the easiest way for me to set recurring purchases of Bitcoin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and forget about it. And get back to that, almost that sugar chasing society. Well, not even get back to the sugar chasing. I, I think it's like, um, so, so, so the ethos for me. So, like, I'm really trying to emulate Bitcoin. So, my, my idol in life, I'm just gonna say now is Bitcoin, right? <laughs> that, that's my idol. I want to be like Bitcoin when I grow up. But um, you know, <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be a Bitcoin. Um, like, I'm, I'm trying to emulate this idea of like this, this, this low time preference and just building quality you know, mm. for myself. Um, and, you know, I, I've learned the hard way trading markets and fucking around and doing all that sort of stuff for, you know, so many years. Like if I go back and think about all the time and effort I've wasted fucking with markets and trading and char- all this noise, basically noise. Yeah. You know, like th- th- there's a saying, which is, and I think I said it earlier, which is nothing's wasted if you know how to use it. Mm. So now I'm using it by telling people don't fucking waste your time. <laughs> Um, and I'm using it as the driver for me to really embody in the product that I'm building the concept of a low time preference. So yes, Bitcoin offers you know the most asymmetric opportunity um, investment opportunity for the masses mm. today. Um, it is the 
you know, the, the one thing that offers like such an extraordinary degree of asymmetry because of the potential inversion, you know, that can happen as a result of something like Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's going to be wild swing. There's going to be all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, with, with a product like Amber, you can... <laughs> skin in the game. Yeah, you, you get some skin in the game, number one. And number two, it essentially make like it's optimized for you to lower your time preference and just spend time in the market instead of timing the market. There's no order mm. books. There's none, there's no fancy shit like that where you can set limit orders and, you know, try and trade your way through and look at charts and all that sort of shit. It's just about setting amount, set a frequency and start accumulating um, this thing. Do you, do you think that's detracted from, oh, I hate to use the word adoption, but uh, Bitcoin adoption for the last few years is that, uh, because, I mean, I remember getting when I first got into Bitcoin, there was so much focus on price and market and trading. And you'd, you'd type in Bitcoin resources. Yes, you'd find Andreas, mm-hmm. but you'd also find the 50 million traders, mil- million traders that all had their YouTube own podcasts and yeah. programs. It, 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 there, was a, there was just a real focus on, you know, making money, which isn't a bad thing, but almost to the extent that that was the focus. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, because... So again, it was just that um, they were just chasing the high, right? Mm. And and you know it was it was just so if if we just sort of um, chunk up and sort of you know zoom out for a moment, like that was low time preference, sorry, high time preference thinking again, because mm. all they were worried about was the next buy signal, the next sell signal, the next pump, the next dump, and whatever. So so it was literally this um, reactive knee jerk fucking um, sea of shit that basically formed around. This, you know, thing that Bitcoin is, which is this low time preference, patience oriented product or unit. Mm. Um, And it's, I don't know, like sometimes I think about this and I'm like, you know, maybe... You know, maybe human beings will always just you know coalesce you know, <laughs> around something like this. So so anyway, so so t- tying that back to Amber, like th- does it detract for us? Well, look, I hope more products are out there building high time preference shit, right? Yeah. So we can be the one product in the market or one of the few that really stand by the product, the methodology, mm. and the underlying asset um, and money that we're trying to get people exposed to, mm. um, and. You know, ho- hopefully we can. I'm gonna chuck an Ayn, Ayn Randism in here, but like, hopefully we can, John Galt a few people, <laughs> and you know, just get them to slowly opt out because that's you know realistically what this yeah game is about, man. Yeah, and I guess. So what what does that look like then? Because at the moment, like, so the Amber app even now it's, is in, is entirely functional. You can jump on, create an account, um, and just literally set up a uh, dollar cost average every week. Uh, every month what, what, to the amount you want. Mm-hmm. It'll just sit there and purchase it for you mm-hmm. every time and you can withdraw it if you want. Yep. But um, but I know you've got a, a roadmap um, and I know that there's a lot planned down the future than just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know just the uh, recurring investments. So yep. so what does that look in one like in one year and what does okay. it look like in two years? Well, the, the way I'll talk about it is I think what, what's most important is that there is um, – there's a large capital base and a large holder base um, on Bitcoin more broadly. Um, and I guess that's going to be measured through how much, you know, total capital and total participants are um, in some way, shape or form holding Bitcoin. So, so, so that's sort of like the first, that's like base camp for Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, so today the product is optimized for helping people just 
accumulate Bitcoin. Now, in future, what I believe, and this is where Bitcoin being just this profoundly capitalist bloody beast is that there will be entrepreneurs, businesses, you know, products and services built on and around Bitcoin that help leverage this asset um, for more utility and more use. So whether that's merchant services, whether that's lending and borrowing, whether that's, um, you know, payments, instant payments, you know, time-locked payments, multi like there's all of this stuff that can come and like shit that we just haven't imagined. Kind of like, you know, the, the, the you know, Andres talks about this quite a bit where he talks about yeah, skeuomorphic. One, yeah. yeah, yeah, he talks about skeuomorphic designers. Like, you know, t- today we can design and imagine things that are sort of within the paradigm that we understand today, mm-hmm. but we can't really think and predict the shit that's going to come tomorrow. Smartphones. Yeah, exactly. Smartphones. All I mean, the the best one I use is like you know the Instagrams and the Snapchats of the fucking. World. Not a chance in hell did we think of that any of that mm. shit. Like or Uber. Like mm. fucking none of that stuff. Absolutely none of that stuff. Like, like the one thing we could think of was like video conferencing, and we still can't get that shit right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like we got everything else. <laughs> what freeing money and making it like information and making it owned by the participants mm. will enable long term i don't know mm. but but for amber like today um and for the at least for the foreseeable future i, I want to be the best place in the world for you know someone or the easiest place in the world for somebody to acquire bitcoin in a manner that i guess incentivizes low time preference you know so it just lets you set forget and you know off you go then longer term is I want to enable users who have accumulated some Bitcoin mm. to basically get all of the traditional banking and financial sort of services, but purely on Bitcoin without having to fundamentally be tied and restricted to a bank or to a fiat system. Mm. Like, you know, we may have to, um, you know, have things like, you know, restrictions and, you know, w- whatever might uh, come to sort of play as, you know, regulations sort of right. broaden yeah. around, you know, as, as Bitcoin becomes more financialized. But at least fundamentally, we'll be giving those products and services a top a unit that is not inflating yep. and losing purchasing <laughs> power and all of that sort of stuff. You know, so, so like I actually think that the, the future financial institutions are going to be built on Bitcoin and, you know, that entire network is going to change. Now, when a large enough mass of those starts to operate and, you know, there's an entire economic system um you know or, or a parallel system you know that that's sitting here whilst the zuckbuck system <laughs> and china's social credit score system sitting there you know like we'll, we'll be that opt-in system um you know ideally we'll be able to unplug from the shit that you know defines the existing system you know but we're, we're fundamentally one of those bridges like at the moment we need a connection point into both sides and i'm hoping that whether this decade, next decade, sorry, not this decade, because that's going to end in a couple of months. <laughs> um, you know, crazy, right? Um, you know, over, over the coming decades, like, you know, if I'm still at the helm of Amber, um, you know, I'm hoping that we can set the dynamite on the other side of the bridge and just completely detach from that side right. of things. But that that's a longer term vision, um, you know, and, and how we get there is going to be really interesting. I mean, when I always use the analogy of Jeff, Jeff Bezos came into the the internet <laughs> selling fucking books. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, he, he just had this profound insight into like the internet is going to be so much bigger than what yeah. we can imagine today. Yeah. And that, that's basically what he set out to saying is like, you know, well, we're going to start with books 
sell some other shit later, you know, and look at Amazon now. Like, it, it, like mm. it's, you know, the second, third biggest company in the world out of fucking nowhere. Mm. Um, and today, you know, we're a dollar cost averaging app. What that looks like tomorrow, I do not know. Um, but really, really, really like what juices me is just that journey mm. more than anything. And, and it's fundamentally a really low time preference journey. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing this shit for the next decade or two. That's so exciting. And you're so like, you're so right when you mention you know, the things that we can't see, cause you're mentioning like time lock transactions. I, I heard that, yeah, that internet of money talk that Antonopoulos gave and he said, so just suggested the idea that, you know, of streaming money so you could get paid in real time by the millisecond. But you're right. We can't even see what the next sort of few things after that mm-hmm. can be. Yeah, so yeah. It's that's so a, exciting. Correct. That's about as far as we can imagine, right? <laughs> like, what, what comes after streaming money? I don't know. <laughs> 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 streaming time. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it just really, the 2020 decade is going to be incredible because we're, we're literally seeing, like like we sort of mentioned earlier, is this separation of money and state peace. I was on Stefan Levera's podcast the other week and we sort of touched on the differences between Libra and um, and Facebook, sorry, and, and Bitcoin. And, you know, and kind of like, I, I, I would argue that Libra's red-pilled more people onto Bitcoin than anything else, mm. than probably all the Bitcoiners together. <laughs> because it's it's basically, you know, kind of cracked that... Um, that veneer for people and mm. made them question them. Wait, wait a minute. Can money actually be issued by a non-government? Because I was going to ask you that because you, you mentioned Libra there earlier and you talked about, you know, this emerging trend we're seeing where, where there has been a paradigm shift in people's mind, where they're starting to detach the concept of money from the central banking system. And, and you're seeing it both in the corporate sector mm-hmm. and, and the ICOs and all that other stuff, mm-hmm, that, all mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, other rubbish mm-hmm. that went on as well. But, uh, governments are also starting to play in this space, and there's always a, there's always this. Um, the moment a government starts to play in your space, you, it legitimizes a lot of what you're doing in the eyes of a lot of people. And I think that's what's going on with yeah. even the government even interacting with Libra in a lot of these countries. I mean, the, the Australian um, uh, one, of the Australian departments put out an alert yesterday about Libra, basically mirroring what the US was USA, saying, calling yeah, okay. on them yeah. to, you know, clarify how they'll play in with the reserve banking system and how they'll protect data and consume mm, it. But, mm, mm. but by even engaging with that, you know, there, there is a, a degree of legitimization there. Yeah, yeah. But how do you see that playing out? You know, how, how do you see that playing out in, in, in five years? What's, what's your view on Libra? Well, let, let's, let's go back to the, the cypherpunk manifesto, right? So, so the, the cypherpunks came about and they said, look, we're moving into a world, and I'm you know, grossly paraphrasing here, but we're, we're moving into a world which is becoming more digitized and more electronic. Um, privacy and fr- you know, pr- privacy is a freedom, you know, and 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 the the right to privacy, you know, is, is a human right. You know, it's 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 a f- functional, critical component of liberty. And you know, if, if communication starts to become electronic um, and it's not private, you know, we're trending towards a really fucking dangerous world. So first and foremost, we need to you know go and build open source software um, to enable private communications. And, you know, so that was like sort of the milestone number one. And milestone number two is we need, we need to figure out a if money is the means for is, – is, it's the fabric of society, I like to call it. Um, they were wise enough to see back then to say, look, not only do we need private communications, but we need a free form of money, which – 
is censorship resistant because if money does become electronic and it starts to uh, center around, even if the, the, the group it centers around is initially well-meaning, prosperous, all of that, the fact that the risk exists for them to become authoritarian, authoritarian is enough for us to be fucking extraordinarily serious about having an, a, a version that is not that. Here's the thing, if you don't have a check and balance, you don't got nothing to check and balance. Like it's just gonna it's gonna go to to the um to the lowest common denominator. Like it's gonna, you know, the, the weakest link in the chain. So all, all of those sorts of um, analogies. So, you know, if if we start with um with that sort of in mind, they've basically predicted where the world was trending, right? So like, you know, technology and um, digitization is uh, uh, what's the word? Like it's um, it's become ubiquitous, you know, in society now. Um, you know that everything's ones and zeros and numbers and you know, code effectively. And the governments are fighting to know everything about you, not only your communication but your um, the transactions you know that you make and you know your financial life and everything. Now the corporates you know want that as well because power is fundamentally centralized around them. And, you know, as you would, like if you're a consortium that, you know, is the Libra consortium, you're about as powerful as the central bank, you know, cartel effectively. Um, so so why wouldn't you want a, a piece of that? And realistically, the, the only thing, like the last bastion of freedom um, in this world that exists at this point in time that I can see is we either go back to fucking trading shiny yellow stones um, in small communities that are detached from everything else, or we have a digital gold. You know, when people sit there and say, oh, well, Bitcoin only just, it's just money. Like, who cares? I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's the most profound, important piece. And like without that, all of your stupid fucking apps and all of the rubbish and garbage that you're fucking talking about is meaningless, absolutely meaningless in a world that is fundamentally non-free or closed authoritarian. Like it's a fucking scary time, man. And and like, you know, those of us who are woke enough, like, you know, we're going to be part of this, you know, ecosystem where we can collaborate freely um, and be rewarded for productivity and for intelligence. Whereas the rest of these idiots are going to converge on a system that... Um, it's a technocracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's um yeah. and, and it's it's fucking scary shit. Like they're, they're not going to be the best at who they are. They're going to be living in fear. Um, they're gonna and and like I, I feel like I'm sounding like freaking Alex Jones here, and and, I, and I'm not trying to because mm. it's like very easy to start going off the deep end there. But like realistically, like you, you could accidentally like the wrong thing on Facebook, and you know, let's say in that kind of a future, you lose some points on your score, and now all of a sudden you're not allowed to spend more than a hundred bucks and you, you get frustrated and, you know, you fucking say the wrong thing. And now, you know, you're not allowed to spend more than 20 bucks a day. Mm. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden you end up getting disconnected from society. Like there's no other money. No one's going to accept your fucking paper because paper doesn't exist. What are you going to do? Like literally you can get turned off. Mm. And that, that like, you and know. That's already happening in China. Like they're they're, they're trialing that social yeah. I mean, we, we covered it. A few months ago, there was there's people over there who they can't uh, buy a car, they can't, can't get on, on public a plane. transport. Yeah, they can't get it. Yeah, you know, uh, just completely shut out. Yeah, um, uh, exactly for saying making a comment on social media about 
the government yeah. in, a, in a negative light yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the algorithm and, just... Correct. And, and, and who decides what's um, negative or not, right? It's whoever the <laughs> fuck woke up today. Well, yeah, I mean, that, well, now you're getting into it because that's... That, that's the big, big issue, isn't it? Like, it's who hold the who holds the reins? Yeah, correct, and, exactly. Yeah, and you know, are our are our lawmakers making laws who are that are just in the way of natural law and first principles, like you're talking about, or are they making laws which suit a ruling class and a, and can change on a whim? Yeah, correct. Or, or even in their incompetence to try and make laws to make it better for everyone, mm. they inherently make it more complex. Mm. Um, and more fucked up such that you, you can't make a move without making a wrong move. Yeah. In which case everything you do is fucking illegal and, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's foreseeable. That's completely yeah. foreseeable. So, 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 yeah, so to answer your question, <laughs> um, you know, I'm sounding like, you know, Mark Faber, boom, gloom, boom and doom or whatever the fuck his stupid thing was called back in the day. Like it's, it's, um, it's a scary world. So, so in, in the next five years, like I actually think we're probably going to see like – I don't know. Some days I think we're not going to see Libra take off. Mm. Some days I think we are. Mm. Um, I don't know, but but there's I, I definitely guess a network effect there. There is. There's yeah. a definitely a network effect there. There's um. You know, I mean, it depends on how many of these um, jurisdictions or countries decide to like basically agree to a Faustian bargain, <laughs> um, and to let you know that in their doors mm. because it's all over for them. Like, mm. I wrote an article about it a couple of weeks ago, which was, I already don't agree with like the fiat system, you know, and this probably has more utility, but like, is this jumping from the fry pan into the fire? Like, mm. and I don't know how to answer that. Like, you know, my intuition is that it probably is jumping into the fire um, for a lot of people. Um, and I mean, it just reinforces, like I spoke to this reporter who was asking me like when the whole Libra thing came out, they're like, oh yeah, so what does this do to Bitcoin? I was like, man, this not only validates Bitcoin because now it like sort of validates the notion of a non-state money, but it also validates Bitcoin's choice to optimize for security, censorship resistance, mm. self-sovereignty, mm. um, you know, uninflatability, et cetera, for those things that every moron who was trying to build an altcoin thought was fucking boring. Yeah. And in one fell swoop, it makes every single altcoin, every single blockchain, all of that other shit completely obsolete. What was interesting watching um, the reactions from the Bitcoin Cash communities and mm. the SV communities and the, all those different communities around Libra, very, very, um, I wouldn't say scared. No, look, I would say probably say scared for a lot of them. They, they, and they felt like it was a real encroachment on their territory in a lot of ways. But there wasn't that reaction from the Bitcoin community. Yeah, the Bitcoin community was cheering. We were all like, <laughs> like fucking yes. Another blue pill. Yeah. 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 Red pill. Red pill. Yeah, yeah, red yeah, pill. yeah. 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 It's um saying that to that reporter, I was basically saying what we're saying now, which is Libra is just such a um like it juxtaposes Bitcoin. It validates it in more than one way and just reinforces the importance of having an opt-out. Now, one could argue and say, look, you know, the, the Libra system will be open, f fair and, like, you know, Zuck's not going to, you know, fucking watch you while you're taking a shit. Like, you know, all of these things, you know, people are going to say, um, and that may well be true. And, you know, we may not go down a technocratic dystopia. You know, maybe the world will be okay. But if anything... Bitcoin is going to act as this check and balance. It's just going to hang around here and be like, hey, motherfucker, like if you do go down that path, I'm here. Mm. And anyone who wants to jump ship, 
come across. Yeah. You don't I'm not going to ask you for who you are, what you are. It's opt in. You can come across anytime. You don't like it, you can go back there. Like it's such a powerful peaceful protest. Like it's fuck man. And it's it's, it's almost going to be like that symbol like gold and silver when you're seeing gold prices and in some ways you can almost see it joining that sort of idea when you're saying it's still going to be there yeah yeah well but, but exactly but it'll transcend those things to, yeah, like, absolutely. to yeah, such yeah, a degree yeah, yeah. like um mm, mm, mm. you know whilst i think gold and silver is there i think gold and silver have been um be, because they're physical objects they are yeah, they, yeah. they trend to um concentration and as a result they've just been basically cheapened to these financial products basically that yeah. you know really just the form part of a financial ecosystem just adding the know. practicality layer to a lot of that yeah what bitcoin is yeah yeah, yeah correct yeah. exactly so, so so bitcoin not only represents so, so a lot of people you know when they talk about the digital gold narrative you know again there's probably like two narratives there people when they talk about the digital gold narrative they're talking about the investment thesis um, but there's a more profound digital gold narrative which is a an opt-out economic system that sits parallel to the other systems that are growing um, and that are taking hold because I mean the world may well become you know in 20 years time um, four states um, US China Libra Bitcoin and the US China and Libra you know may have guns pointed outwards and inwards um, and the Bitcoin state has a bunch of guns pointed outwards and because all the smart people are there we just got better guns <laughs> so there's probably going to be less of us and we'll just Correct, and, and you know we we just you know the cool kids, and so so like Naval Ravikant, um, he's um, he's like a kind of like startup guru, or whatever. Like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, he was on the yeah. Rogan thing. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, he, he, that was a brilliant podcast. Mm. Um, so he he had an interesting tweet. He goes like the the world is um the, the future of the world is small um, self sovereign states surrounded by large homogenous states. Um, where the small ones are protected through like networks of drones and guns, so they're impenetrable. And I was like, <sighs> "Fuck yeah, <laughs> they're the Bitcoin citadels, <laughs> literally." Because <laughs> yes. because they're going to need an economic system, and you you can't have a society and you know humans cooperating without one. So like, mm. yeah, man, it's um interesting couple of decades ahead. What are some of the lessons that you've learned over this over this journey? I guess sort of. I guess sort of like from a bit of a business perspective, but also from like a financial perspective, and almost like what do you? Uh, Let, let's let's try sum it up in the in the in the spirit of the show. Um, good things take time, mm. low time preference. So if I've learned anything in business, is that um, you know, whilst the hustle has to be there, the grind has to be there. Like the idea that nothing comes without a struggle is critically important, and nothing comes without really putting effort, time, and you know sacrifice and patience into it like you know if you think you're going to get fucking rich quick you're going to lose the shit quick um i've had a number of friends who've you know fundamentally gotten lucky like although they have worked hard you know they've gotten a big windfall and you know they've given all of it back like me in in the younger years i was a perfect example of that made money quick lost money quick when i started that solar company despite trying to you know optimize for quality i still made a shitload of money really quickly when those rebates came out and then I lost the fucking shit really quickly. So, you know, if I've learned anything, um, being contrarian is incredibly important um, and 
having that, you know, quality uh, sort of low time preference outlook on doing things um, matters because you're not only going to build something good that people want, but you're going to do it in a way that you actually give a shit about, mm. you know, what you're doing. So mm. I think that that should probably be like the the, the sum up lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of, of Alex Vesky's life. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah basically. The, the guy who moves at 100 million miles an hour, <laughs> telling everybody to take it slow. I know, it's already. <laughs> the fucking irony. Holy shit. Um, you, know, you read a lot. Yes. And it sounds like, I mean, you've obviously learned a lot of lessons through life, but I get the impression that you also learn a lot through what you read. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you've learned is mirrored through what you read in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, kind of reinforcing some yeah, of the lessons yeah, yeah. you've learned. Yeah. So if, you know, if, if, if I'm a 20-year entrepreneur where you were you know, 10, 12 years ago, whatever, um, and I want to skip all, all, the, all the marking around and all, a lot of the mistakes, obviously you can't put an old head on young shoulders, but uh, what would you recommend I read? What, what, are some, what are some books you could send me to? If, if it's business, the first and only book you need to read is Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Okay. Hands down, it's the most important book for anybody in business to read. Like he, he doesn't talk about the niceties and, you know, like, you know, management theories by fucking people who've, you know, worked at somebody else's company and come out and, you know, come up with some bullshit theory, you mm. know, whilst the company was in peacetime. Like he talks about the struggle and the fucking trauma he went through of building a company through the dot-com fucking boom and bust and all the shit that came with that. Mm. Um, it's... um. It's a traumatizing book. I, I've read the fucking book 11 times now. Wow. Like, and I learn something new every single time. Because that's written by Ben Horowitz, isn't yeah, it? Ben Horowitz. That's of Andres and Horowitz. But Correct. so there's so many different lessons in there. And I guess what are some of the bits that stand out to you from that book? Let, I mean, I'll bring up the struggle again. Like he talks about the struggle in there, you know, as this thing that, you know, is, um, you know, the, the entrepreneur's uh, journey is about the struggle. And, and that's, you know, the thing that you should come to expect. And, you know, one of the things I got out of that book was just this, you know, this inherent persistence and perseverance, like at so many points in time, like that kind of stuff. And I've found that in my life, like there's been points in time where I've just thought, fuck, there is no chance we're going to make this shit. Mm. And, and I've just, I don't know, some part of me is like fucking just one more last minute push. And then, you know, you kind of find your way through and something happens and it lines up and, you know, you're through. So, so, so for me, that was really the big takeaway. I think that's more important in um, being an entrepreneur. And, and that really also ties into like low time preference mm-hmm. as well, because mm-hmm. like I wrote an article a little while ago, um, for some publication where they were asking, oh, what's the secret to being an entrepreneur? I said, well, look, it's, um, it's, it's persistence, mm. which is made up of being patient and lucky. <laughs> Um, and, and continually, you know, moving forward. And and I think a lot of people discount that because r- randomness or luck has a an outsized impact on our lives um, and, and most people discount it, you know. Mm. So most people who get lucky think they're not lucky <laughs> and most people who are um, unlucky think they're unlucky when in fact, um, you know, just randomness has worked in a slightly different way for them. Mm. If you're around long enough, and if you've got the grit and the persistence to be around long enough, at some point in time, you know, randomness will line up for you. And if you're consistently producing, adding value, growing and doing, you know, what drives you and what 
the greatest impact or um, input you can have, you, you, you start to get this effect where randomness or luck aligns with yeah. the input that you're putting in. your position. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really, that's the game Put right there. Put yourself in a place to get lucky. Correct. Yeah. That, that's the game of life. Yeah. Right there. Game, set, match is do, do some fucking good shit that you care about mm. um, and continue doing it irrespective of how hard it gets. Um, maybe not, not to the point of blind stubbornness where you're just doing shit because you are like be open enough to like, you know, adapt, <laughs> you know, as things come. But um, I, I think that's literally, you know, the, the core lesson for, you know, that I got out of that book, you know, yeah. in, a, in a really roundabout way. What about money? Because I mean, money, money that, that's business, but you've done a whole bunch of reading on money. Is there, is there a book you'd, you'd send people to for money for, for, to, to learn about it? To- Ooh, um, either, either Sapiens yep. or, um, or, or Save It In's book. Um, okay. Bitcoin Standard, yeah, one yep. of those two. Like, yep. I think those are yep. really like. Yeah, well, don't don't get the audio book on the Bitcoin Standard because the narrator's not very good. But I thought it was okay. But did you? Yeah, I, I unless we got a different narrator. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, I didn't mind him too much. But um, okay. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Bitcoin Standard or Sapiens, I think, are really good. Um, one is more of an anthropological um, yeah. sort of story, and the other one's more a um, you know, story of money as an emergent good. Um, yeah. I think both of them together. That there's actually another one. Which I think is uh, useful too is um, debt the first thousand five the, sorry the first five thousand years by um, I think it's David Graeber isn't it uh, have you have you read that one no I haven't read that one yeah that one's a really interesting one it sort of talks about how money evolved initially as you know promises effectively um, and then there's one that I read a little while ago I'm gonna look for it on my Audible quickly um, no me it's probably called money. Um, yeah, the history of money, of course. Jack Weatherford. Now that that was pretty good. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think the 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 author really understood, you know, money very deeply. But it was sort of more the history of money. So you can sort of you, you get the sense of how money was, you know, different things along the way, and you start to realize that it wasn't always just some paper issued by a government, and it really sort of allows people to think broader. But um, you know, yeah, if you had to pick one or two, like Sapiens and Bitcoin Standard, by far. Well, I know for a fact after this conversation, I'm absolutely doubling the amount that I'm just going to dollar right. cost average in. Just because <laughs> it just, oh, maybe I'm just getting a bit excited with it. But no, 100%, like you, you've, you're, you've, you explained very eloquently a number of the points on it. And I think Thanks, it just, man. to a lot of people who, who are listening who already love Bitcoin, they probably, it just absolutely reinforces a lot of that point and drove it home for me. So, I mean, yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. I, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Like every time I, fucking jump on one of these like I get off and I buy some more Bitcoin I'm like yeah. I'm telling everybody else fuck they're gonna buy some of it I want it before they do because <laughs> I'm selfish it's, it's always hard isn't it there's always a little nagging doubt in your head when you go to buy isn't it you think oh yeah but I I, I know the current monetary system but uh, you're completely right and and mate it's, it has been an absolute pleasure I know we've um we've been meaning to do this for a long time so for people that want to because you're prolific online like you 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 write you tweet um your tweets are hilarious by the way um (laughs) your linkedin posts are actually hilarious i've never seen anyone post on linkedin like you post on linkedin yeah which is just so funny um but if people do want to find you online um where do they go uh so uh, my name's spelled a bit funny so a-l-e-k-s um svetsky s-v-e-t-s-k-i 
Um, so, I mean, if you Google that, generally my Twitter and all that sort of stuff comes up. I've tried to be relatively consistent, so I'm pretty sure most of my tags are Alex Svetsky, mm. so you'll need to put both S's in there. Um, I think some of them might be my full name, Alexander Svetsky, but, mm. I mean, better to just search that yeah. and you'll find it. Hackanoon, Medium, Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm always spamming. Oh, and Amber, yeah, so uh, to, to look up Amber – if you're in Australia, we can definitely service you now. I'm hoping to be in Europe and UK later this year, so then we'll be able to help people at that side. Um, Amber.app, that's it. So it's nice and easy. Um, you can, you can find it on the Play Store and the iTunes Store. Yeah, I, yeah just literally. Yeah. So we're, we're right up the top now. So you type in Amber, you'll find it. Um, so, yeah, so, so download it. It's um, really simple. You just put in your BSBN account number and set, a time, so set an amount of frequency and when you want it to start and literally just – like, I think there's that saying, it's like, you know, the best time to buy Bitcoin was like, you know, <laughs> whatever that dip was, right? Yeah. And and the next best time to buy it is fucking yeah. now. So, yeah. like, just get in there, man. Like, e- even me, you know, I'm Mr., you know, Bitcoin fucking aficionado and I've got, like, all of these unfilled limit orders on my exchange accounts because I was trying to be smart and buy the dips that never came. Mm. <laughs> and I missed out on all of this Bitcoin whilst my freaking Amber app was just buying the whole time. Yeah. So, you know, my on my exchange accounts, you know, I'm up a little bit. On my Amber app, I'm up like hundreds of percent. So it's just, you, you just can't be DCA. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And we'll back the link in the show notes too for that. Um, and yeah I guess the only other thing to say is thank you so much Alex it's been an amazing um, uh, interview it's been awesome fun Um, and yeah we're really looking forward to seeing where Amber goes absolute pleasure gentlemen thank you for having me on this has been a long time coming and um, and please do not delete the file because I don't have another two hours in me (laughs) (laughs) and with that we're going to save the file see you guys thank you bye Bitcoin